Hey, real quick. want to give a shout out to James up in Stoneville, North Carolina. He's a friend of the show. Hell, he's a friend of the family. Now we were able to go ahead and help his family recently save more than $1,200 a month. Really think about this. My man, Robbie didn't save $1,200 one time. He's going to save it each and every month, all because he went to save with Conrad.com. He left us a five-star review earlier this week. And he said this from the first phone call with Christian, all the hard work Diane put in Jennifer taking time to explain things and help me understand where we were at with the deal right up to Steve, helping me get this survey through nothing but professionalism all around dealing with first family has helped us to the point we've cut $1,200 a month off our bills. I can't say enough about the team Conrad has assembled. I highly recommend first family to anyone looking to purchase or refinance their home. Thanks to Conrad and the entire first family team. No, thank you, James, for the great review and congratulations on saving 1200 bucks a month. And oh, by the way, you can skip your next two house payments. It's real folks. Save with Conrad.com can help you. We're licensed in more than 40 States, but if you've got credit card debt, if you're looking to save money on your monthly payments, if you're looking to pay your house off faster, or even buy a house with no money down, save with Conrad.com is your hookup. Holler. If you hear me, that's save with Conrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh, by the way, you don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. What are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save for free at savewithconrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little bit about adfreeshows.com. People often ask me, what exactly is adfree shows all about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Not only do you get early ad-free access to all of my podcasts starting at just $9, but you also get many of your other favorite wrestling podcasts like Click This with Kevin Nash, Gentleman Villain with William Regal, Oh You Didn't Know with Brian James, and others. But yes, still just $9 a month. That's 14 podcasts in total every single week, early with no ads. That's like 20 cents an episode. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or through your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Want some more cheese on that Whopper? AdFreeShows.com has literally tens of thousands of hours worth of bonus content, including fantastically popular series like Eric Fires Back, Idle Chase, and Strictly Business. And I don't know why this is a thing, but there's even more than 40 Ask Conrad episodes waiting for you at AdFreeShows.com. We've got monthly Zoom chats with all the podcast hosts, live watch-alongs with wrestling legends, and more. Come on now. See for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans have already discovered. That's adfreeshows.com. It's the best value in wrestling today. Check it out right now. Adfreeshows.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. Let rip. No, you have a There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It, it, it. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. I ain't scared to shut him. You, Bruce. Ah, Something to wrestle with. Call Bruce Pritchard. 
Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Conrad, I got to tell you something, man. I'm, what are you, what are you doing right now? Shaking up my great, great Gatorade. Okay. Why are you? See, I, I, I get, I put the water in the thing and I actually use an old Gatorade bottle, but I put the powder mix in cause I like the grape from the powder better than the other stuff. So you... now shake it up. So I went in the kitchen and I made this. You made right. Gatorade. I, I did. I made Gatorade. Okay. And I put the bottle down and I went over to my new installed Sonic ice maker, ice gimmick thing. And that's actually finally been installed. And I have workers out of my house that, uh, did construction in my house for the last nine years. And, uh, and then I stood there for several minutes for my wife, who's in the other room, watch TV finally says, Honey, can I help you? I said, I don't know. Can I don't you? Know what I did with my Gatorade. Oh, okay. And it was right there. It was it was camouflaged within the confines of the of the kitchenal area. The kitchenal. You know, yeah. Hey Conrad. Hey Bruce. When you were young, yep. and your heart was an open book. Okay. You ever say live and let live? You know, you did, you know, you did, you know, you did. Okay. But I got to tell you something in this ever changing world in which we live in. Sometimes you got to just give it a cry and say, live and let die. All right. What? I just said, all righty. I got to tell you, man, I'm pretty fired up about, um, today's episode because we're going to be talking. That was old school right there. Right. We're going to be talking about Shawn Michaels run in 97 and 98. And of course we all recall that Shawn was, uh, not really around all that long in 1998, but boy, what he was there for was pretty, pretty, pretty eventful. So I'm pretty excited about today, uh, because I just love talking about 97 and I guess we should sort of start at the beginning, but before we do, do you want to address that any, be, that would be January 1st, 1987. Oh, okay. We're going, we're going old school. Okay. Normally at the top of the show, you have a few comments for us. Now I know we're kind of out of practice from doing pods. We just did the the Brett one, but we're getting back in a rhythm. I know it's two in a row. It is two in a row. Let's, let's not call it a streak. It's a streak. Okay. What the fuck are you slamming? Listen, if you can make noises on the show, I can make noises on the show. All right. You know what I'm saying? Like I can uh, Make noises. So well, you're hitting the microphone. I ain't. Oh, I, just, I, I bumped into it. It was my bad. Minor natural, minor natural uh, noises that are being made with life uh, amongst me. Are those pictures of your own dumbass dogs on your cup there? No, they're not. Because that'd but be a great idea time. if you had your own. Oh, I see. You got all the different breeds on there. Yeah. I got yeah. you. You got me. You know the best kind of puppy is a pound puppy. That's right. Yeah. 
Only all, all of our dogs are all rescue dogs. Well, you and I ourselves are rescue dogs. We are kind of, I mean, you know, so chat me up. 1996 comes to a close. We're building towards Sid and Sean at the Royal rumble. We covered that in San Antonio, man, it feels like forever ago, probably because it was, but I think that Royal rumble 97 episode is one of my favorite episodes that we did. Uh, so I hope you guys will, uh, will check that one out. But as 1997 starts, regardless of Steve Austin's rise and the fact that Sid is the world champion, it feels as if the plan, we'll call it January 1st, is WrestleMania 13, Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart part two, right? It sure was. You know, and and also when I say it sure was, yes and no. I think that there was a feeling that Shawn was the guy that we wanted to go with. And San Antonio and the Rumble and the Alamo Dome. Remember the Alamo, God bless Texas and all that good stuff. <laughs> the only, only reason we lost at the Alamo was because there were a bunch of people from Tennessee that were in there fighting. All the Jarrett's. The te- yeah, the Texans won at the uh, Battle of San Jacinto right there outside of Houston, General Sam Houston. Who, God bless Texas. You know, he beat he beat Santa Ana and he took back the state of Texas and the independence of great state of texas it was those don't it was those damn jarrett's from tennessee them damn tennesseeans if you just if you just called road dog i mean he was a real marine he could have taken care of that for you just saying probably could have hey so real deal did you think i mean i know once upon a time you guys used to take out the book right and you'd work a year backwards or what have you did the original idea everyone acknowledges was supposed to be in theory you know, a rematch, but in hindsight, I don't know that that would have been as good. I mean, no, certainly- and, I, and I also don't think that Vince was thinking it was as good, you know, from the, the baby face match the year before. Right. So I, I guess what I'm driving at is if we would have actually delivered on a rematch from Brett and Sean, would we have done baby versus baby or would one of the guys have had to have slipped into a heel role? We know that Brett sort of does a turn at WrestleMania 13 anyway, Right. But would that have happened or, or would we have tried Sean that way? Do you have a feel for whether or not it would have been an all baby face affair? Man, I think that frankly, it would have had to have been Brett turning heel. Right. Um, Brett was in Brett's mind. I think that that's kind of how Brett saw it. I think Brett saw it as being the, the heel that was wronged and let him bitch about losing the championship the year before. <clears throat> to this guy that he despised in Shawn Michaels, everything that, that Brett was about, you know, Shawn wasn't. So I think that it was in many ways what the Canadian turn was a few years later. Right. You know, just, well, maybe a year later. Um, I think we would have gotten to then. And I think that that would have been the only way to really sell that match. So as we move forward, in that general direction, I do want to ask because Sean wrote in his book, how sick he was at the rumble and how winning the belt the second time, wasn't nearly as big of a deal to him. Even if it was part of a a giant dome show in his hometown built around him is Sean disillusioned with being the champ. I mean, I, I, I feel like sometimes in life, 
people sort of say, man, I'll be happy when I do this. If I could just accomplish that, I'll be happy. And they sort of move the goalposts, if you will, because once they get it, man, it just doesn't feel the way they hoped it would. Was there some part of Sean, do you think that maybe wanted validation or felt like once I was the champ, things will be different. But then once he had the real responsibilities of doing all the PR and being the guy, maybe that wasn't as fun. Maybe he didn't feel as fulfilled. I think more than anything, it was a situation where, and you and I both talked about this and experienced it. And you, you kind of touched on it where you have goals. Yes. And you look at that ultimate goal in your head that you're striving for. And when you achieve that ultimate goal, you realize, Hey, I'm here. Uh, what's next? Yeah. And you, you had these visualizations of all these things that were going to happen and they happen pretty quickly. And maybe it's not exactly how you felt it or not exactly how you saw it, but you kind of, you, you get in that phase of what, what, what's next, man. Right. What, what, what are we going to do now? And there's a time of doubt. There's a time of self-reflection and, and looking at things like, all right, uh, we had this plan going into WrestleMania. Well, Vader didn't work out. So, we switched to Sid. Well, Sid as good, I don't know. But, man, we made the switch and we went ahead and did this. And and I'm not really sure that I want to be in this with Sid and Cornette. I really didn't want to do it with Vader. God, do I really have anybody that's, that's that big, you know, that big monster to slay? And so, yeah, I, I mean, disillusion, I don't know. I think probably more confusion than anything. Maybe because he had put, and again, we're, I've been guilty of this where we think, man, if I can just accomplish X, I'll, I'll feel fulfilled and I'll, I'll be happy. And then you get it. And it's like, Hey, it's cool. And I'm glad I did it. But, and, and that, that, but just sort of hangs around. I ask because I'm trying to get a vibe for, you know, as a young performer to hear, especially after you've been through the, the leaner years of 93, 94, 95. And you're frustrated because you're not getting that top spot and you finally get it in 96 at a WrestleMania. I understand how winning it at WrestleMania after the journey of nearly 10 years in the WWE, I get that. But now to be in your hometown in a dome show at a time where man, a couple of years ago, y'all were running really small venues. This is a big deal and a giant vote of confidence from the company to say, Hey, I know we were running high school gyms not too long ago, but we're going to build around you and run a freaking dome in your town. And it just doesn't, it's not as special to Sean. I'm sure that's frustrating for the office to hear or feel that Sean feels that way, but I kind of get it from his perspective too. Right? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think more than anything, it was just that, Hmm. Is this all cracked up? What, you know, is it, is it what I wanted it to be? Right. Woo Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. 
Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell them, Nate. Wings! Legendary flavors! World Championship Wings! Woo! Woo Wings! Yeah! Woo-woo! This Mother's Day and Father's Day, look no further for the perfect gift than PaintYourLife.com. It's worked for me every time, and when I say every time, I mean it. I've used PaintYourLife.com to bring tears to the eyes of my mom, my dad, even my father-in-law. And right now, I'm ordering one for my mother-in-law, all from PaintYourLife.com. My mother-in-law's life is her dog, Missy. And this year, my wife and I knew exactly what to get my mother-in-law for Mother's Day, a painting of Missy. It really is that simple too. All we needed was a a picture from our phone. Boom. We're up and running. You see, paintyourlife.com can really create a hand painted portrait to fit almost any budget. And it's the perfect gift for your mother, your father, or both. I've used it, as I said, on almost every person in my life. I've given these to my wife. I've given it to my cousin, my mom, my dad, my father-in-law. If I'm looking to give a truly meaningful, personable gift, I know the paintyourlife.com has my back and they're going to make it easy. You can go ahead and start the entire process in less than five minutes. And what's really cool about paintyourlife.com is they can even combine photos. Maybe you want to put two people who never met in one of your favorite vacation spots. You can do that. Just upload the photos. Bam. You're good to go. Maybe grandpa never got to meet his grandson with paintyourlife.com. That can become a reality. You can put people and places together. Even if they've never been there, you pick the artist, you pick the medium. Do you want oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even go ahead and pick out an awesome frame. The whole process to get started, as I said, takes less than five minutes and you can actually get your painting in as little as two weeks, but you work hand in hand with the artist to get every detail. Perfect. If you're looking to get those waterworks going to have your mom or your dad tear that paper and just almost be overcome with emotion. That's what I got. And I've never gotten that reaction to a gift card. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. Now, to get this special offer, just text the word WRESTLE to 87204. That's WRESTLE to 87204. Text WRESTLE to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Now I, I do want to ask because 1997 is going to be a troublesome year for Sean. And we're going to talk about that, but in January, could you already tell that maybe the wheels were coming off? Maybe he was burnt out. Maybe he was frustrated. Maybe he was, he was feeling the pressure. Maybe some of the you know, the popular buzzword in the wrestling genre is demons. Were any of those demons maybe rearing their head as far as, you know, in early 97? Yeah, I think they were. Okay. Um, I think that Sean was running hard, man. And, and doing everything he wanted. He wanted to be, you know, wanted to go out and nature. Yes. So by God, I'm going to be this and I'm going to go out and I'm going to tear the town down and I'm buying drinks for everybody and come on out with me and, uh, he want, he wanted to be the man. Yeah. So he was, he was living that lifestyle, living it pretty damn hard. You know, 
I think that, um, you know, the funny thing is, is you, you can look at all of those things that probably reared their head from time to time, but I don't think that it ever interfered and is in ring work ever. Right. Um, and the, the part that really sucked is uh, I just remember, you know, that day going, holy shit, man, you know, he's sick as fuck. Right. He's running a fever. He's sick. He, you know, can't, he's going to get out of bed. You know, you got a doctor there. Um, saying, yeah, he should pretty much should stay in bed. And, uh, you know, you shoot him up with B12 and, uh, get as many vitamins and stuff in him as you can. He broke his fever and, and got his antibiotics and starts feeling better. Right. Not great because for a couple of days before that, he was just down and out and sick as could be. Did you think there would, there was any chance that he was not going to make the match or was that never in question? I mean, obviously he's sick and, and, and we know that in theory he shouldn't have been there, but did you just know the wrestling business being what it was, this show being what it was for Sean, as far as hometown dome show, win the belt back, no way he's missing this one. Right? Yeah. I didn't think he would miss it for the world. I think he would have, we would have wheeled him in on a hospital bed and propped him up into the ring, <laughs> rolled him in and, you know, had the referee stand there and bend down and get that super kick up. And somehow I <laughs> run into it one way or another, by God, there are plenty of ways to skin that cat. Did you guys have as a rule, I'm not asking specifically here, but as a rule, did you have like contingency plans? Like, okay, no. here's what we would like to see, but if that doesn't happen, here's another idea. Or do you just no. take it as it comes? No, take it. I mean, you go in with your plan and yes. you, you work the plan and obviously you have to adjust sometimes because you're dealing with human beings and you're dealing with real life situations. So, uh, things happen, right? But no, you don't go in with, okay, if that doesn't happen, then we'll do this. That's a waste of time. Got it. So let's talk about what happens the night after the rumble, which is a classic show. I love covering it. I want you guys to go listen to it in the archives. I think you'll dig it. But the night after the rumble is one of the classic moments where Bret Hart opens the show and starts to berate Vince McMahon at ringside. And I think this is one of the first times it's acknowledged, maybe not the first time, but one of the first times that it's acknowledged on TV that Vince is the owner of the world wrestling federation. And Bret goes on and on about how he's been screwed by everyone, including Sean. So at this point, you guys already have in your mind's eye, Brett's going to be a crybaby of sorts, right? Brett's going to be the, the, the sore loser or, I mean, cause he, he did get screwed at the rumble and I know we're trying to set up the final four match, but did you ever think we would get back to Brett as a baby face? Or is this in your mind, just a step in the direction of a heel Brett, regardless, this was a step in the direction of a heel Brett. And, and by the way, I don't think that anyone ever said Vince was the owner of WWE. Right. I just think that the way that Brett addressed him was different than he had addressed him. That's fair. He addressed he addressed Vince and basically held Vince responsible. But no one ever said Vince McMahon's the owner of the WWE. But at the same time, if he's saying you're responsible, how why would he be saying that to a random announcer, right? Well, why not? You say that all the time back in the old days to whoever was holding the microphone. I see. Okay. So, you know, it was Mr. TV announcer. So, I tell you what, Mr. TV announcer, by God, you held whoever whoever was in that position as the 
I guess, for lack of a better term, the authority figure. Got it. So at this point, do you know there's heat with Sean and Brett in real life? Or is it almost just, you know, he's over here and they're over there type deal. Like they might not be best friends, but at this point has the professional or personal animosity started to rear its head, at least in your mind. I don't think it was there yet. Right. I don't think it was there. I think that they were still, you know, still working their program and they were trying to work the boys a little bit too, but there was, I don't think that there was any real heat there at that point. They they were just doing their own thing. I think they were working to, you know, get to another place. I want to mention that, uh, it's promoted here that Sean will be taking on Sid for the WWF title at Thursday, raw Thursday. Of course, this is the era with the damn dog show. The Westminster dog show is moving you guys. What'd you think about the branding? Uh, uh, <laughs> Thursday, raw Thursday. Could we, we're just hitting you over the head with it, but I mean, Hey, we remembered. Hey, what day was it on? I reckon it was Thursday. Raw Thursday, Thursday, raw. raw Thursday. <laughs> In the meantime, Sean is working triple threat matches on all the house shows and it's with Brett and Sid. Do you remember hearing reports about those, those guys working together? I enjoyed Sid with Brett. I I even enjoyed even more Sid and Sean, but a three way, I I hear some guys in the business say, man, they're just tough. Was it tough with these guys or could Sean and Brett just do it with whoever? Uh, I think it was, they put it this way. I think that it would have been better, Sean and Brett. I think Sid kind of muddied it up a little bit for them. Looking at two guys, and uh, particularly Brett, having that classic match and having the the type of match that they feel that they could perform, having Sid in there was a bit of a monkey wrench. Right. Or just a big monkey, you know, in the match. But, no, you you know, to have a triple threat, you, you need to – Somewhere along the way, you got to isolate people and, and things of that nature. And you got a big, strong, nasty villain in Sid. That's hard to isolate. On Raw from Toronto, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart have a confrontation. Raw Toron- in Toronto, Raw Toronto? Yes, Raw Toronto, Raw. Uh, I, like okay. the, I like the way we're saying that. Raw Toronto, Raw, okay. Did I say on Raw from Toronto or did I Thursday? No, Raw? I said Toronto, Raw, Toronto. Well, you've, you've Thursday, Raw, Thursday me. I don't even know what I'm saying now, but I'm going to, I'm going to have trouble for the rest of the day. So thanks for tripping and he'll be up. Uh, this is from the observer. The best part of the show was the Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart confrontation. It was acknowledged that this was in Brett's hometown as if the entire country of Canada is one town <laughs> It is uh, to explain Michaels being booed. <laughs> As Michaels came out, Ross said that he wasn't bald and he doesn't make promises. He can't keep apparently in reference to Hogan, not wrestling Piper on the other station. And then Brett came out to the big face pop, of course, here in Canada. And Meltzer would say actually outshined Sean in the segment, just as it appeared, they were going to come to blows. Austin jumps on Brett and they brawl while Michaels just stands there. So lot to unpack here. As I like to say the shot at Hogan. Is that a, a Vince call or is this Jr. just doing what Jr. did on commentary a lot? Well, goddamn, Connor, you know, you got those old fellas over there and they're, they're trying, they're, they're, they're trying to compete there with, with us. And you got, got how many times, how many times have we seen Hogan and Piper 
Fuck, it, it was main event in 1964. We're in 1997 now. Huh, Sasha Frash. So I think it was more JR just kind of taking his digs where he could every once in a while and getting that out there. What did you think of that? Taking, t- you know taking what? shots. I never, I never have been a big one to address the competition or address the, the other guys. Cause to me, it only gives them credibility and it gives them, uh, credence, man. I, you know, forget about them. Why talk? Oh, Hey, Piper and Hogan are on another channel. Let me go check that out. I remember I was around in 1964 when that happened. Right. But you know, when you look at it, it was literally 10 years before that those two guys were headlining. Yeah. That those two guys were the two biggest names in the business. This episode is brought to you by CarShield, who makes it easy and affordable to protect my car from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters. CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the U.S. and offers protection plans for around 100 bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before. Whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles, let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic, and CarShield's administrators handle the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or headaches you're taken care of. Same goes if your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through CarShield also include coast-to-coast roadside assistance. CarShield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost too. Get coverage today and you'll lock in your price now and it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs for your vehicle. CarShield helps protect my wallet from expensive car repairs, and they'll do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's carshield.com slash podcast. A deductible may apply. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. So the other piece of business here is it looks like we're headed towards Brett and Sean, but then here comes Austin and then Sean just sort of stands there. Is Sean happy with that positioning or at this point, was there anything that was going to, I guess what I'm trying to get to is how frustrated was Sean? Because it almost feels like it starts with him and Brett, but then he just becomes kind of like a backdrop. Didn't like it. Yeah. Sean did not like it at all. And I think that Sean, you know, did feel that he was, he was standing there with his unit in his hand and the reasoning behind it. And I think the idea behind it was one of Sean's got no beef right at that point with Austin. So why, why get involved and why, you know, as a champion, plus I'm out here in, in Canada, they're booing me. So they don't like me anyway. But again, I think you need to play to your larger audience. And that's a, you know, the global television audience while you're in that one market that night, you know, uh, we had it recently where we were in Canada, you know, and, and Canada 
man, they're very patriotic. That's one thing I got to tell you, Conrad, I, I do just admire about Canada. They love their country. They love their countrymen. They, they, they have a respect for their history. And oh, I yeah. think that's, I think that's cool as shit. Yeah. I know we don't talk about current stuff, but man, that, that crowd you guys had in Toronto a few weeks ago was badass. Um, yeah. So here the champ is just sort of standing here as Brett and Austin mix it up. And now on an upcoming house show, uh, all the booking sheets for Buffalo, Cleveland, and Detroit list Sid and Brett Hart against Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels. Now, you know, we often talk about in wrestling, especially in this era, shades of gray. And later this year, Vince is going to go on TV on Monday night raw and say something like, we're not going to continue to insult your intelligence where it's good guys versus bad guys. But in this era, Bret Hart, while he might be a little whiny, we're not yet fully on. I hate America. We're just, Hey, Brett's been screwed by everybody. And it shows he's teaming with Sid who just most recently attacked an elderly with a camera to take on Steve Austin. Who's very much a bad guy who just keeps attacking people and beating them up with chairs and Shawn Michaels, who I guess is the baby face. I mean, he's our baby face champion, our hometown hero. It feels as if this should have been Sid and Austin against Brett and Sean, but that's not what it reads. It says Sid and Brett against Austin and Sean. Is this maybe the first time you remember there being shades of gray, if you will, in the positioning of the matches? Well, and it wasn't that at all. It was taking those two matches. You had the, the two opponents in Sean and Sid, who had a program, in Brett and Austin, who had a program. Now you team those, you team the, the unlikely adversaries, you know, with each other Got against it. the other two. So, yeah, the logical thing you would think would be Brett and Sean. But what, how's, how's Brett? going to coexist with Sid and how is Sean going to coexist with Austin? Right now they've got their enemy on the other side. They don't necessarily have an issue with each other. And that, that was the, that was the selling point of that match was how are these guys all going to, how are the partners going to coexist and what's going to explode in the match itself? So you kind of have like a, a story within a story here. Yes. Sean writes in his book that, during one of these matches, he tweaked his knee and it swelled up. So he reaches out to Vince who tells him to go see Dr. James Andrews, uh, the famous surgery that put Bo Jackson or surgeon who put Bo Jackson back together down in Birmingham. And I think has put together more WWE guys than most. And instead Sean opts to see his own doctor who straight up tells him you'll never wrestle again because you don't have an ACL. Is that the way you remember that happening? That Vince wanted him to go see Dr. James Andrews and Sean didn't do that. Absolutely. You want to go see the best, right? And you want to go see a, a sports orthopedic who understands our business and what it is that we do and understands athletes and their ability to recover. You go see a regular orthopedic that has no idea, you know, what, what it is that we do and, and looks at like to a normal person, to an accountant. You know, that tweaks his knee and has no ACL. Oh, you'll, you'll never, you'll never be able to wrestle. 
yeah, well, I wasn't planning on it, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's, you need to go, you need to go to the best. You need to go and see the absolute best in the industry. James Andrews was the best in the industry still is. So talk to me about how Vince receives this information. I mean, I assume Sean calls and tells, I think Sean, uh, yeah, I think Sean called him and then, and then, uh, and then we got a call that night, just, you know, letting us know, Hey, you know, Sean, Sean's got a knee injury and we need to see, you know, we need to be thinking about what we're going to do, but we didn't know, you know, I, I still don't think that, um, we really had a good idea of what it was because sure. Sean's got no ACL. I, I remember, and I just went through it, man, rotator cuff surgery. Okay. I will never forget 1987, 88, maybe, uh, Eddie Gilbert tore his rotator cuff and, and the doctor told him, uh, you'll never wrestle again. Mm. It, it's, it depends on the doctor. It depends on the injury. It depends on the individual. But it's all in your recuperative powers. It's all in your rehab, and it's all in you know what what you're willing to put into it, and having a doctor that has a true understanding of what it is that you do. So, what's the normal protocol for talent relations in this era when a talent tells Vince he's hurt? I'm just trying to figure out, like, is this just the relationship that Vince had with his champion at the time or well, is, uh, no, you got to understand completely different, different time, era, man. Era, uh, yeah. it, it's here. We didn't have a wellness policy, right? You didn't have, you, you didn't even have physicians that traveled on, on the road at that time. Um, so everybody had their own individual doctors we had doctors that were there by the commission, but it was kind of hit or miss as to what exactly, you know, those doctors, what their specialty was. Um, so you had to depend on, you know, the talent either going to their own doctors because they're the ones that are going to have to live with that. And we would help out, you know, from the standpoint of, like a James Andrews call Jim and say, Hey, we've got this guy that has an injury. Would you take a look at him? Cause it wasn't that easy to get into, uh, Dr. Andrews back in the day. Right. I don't know that it still is anymore either, but, um, you know, Andrews sports medicine, it, it was, it was, a you had to know somebody and we felt that he was the best and just, you got to go with, Hey, I don't want to go to Andrews. Okay. Well, you don't have to, but really think that this is, this is the right guy to see. Instead, he went to somebody else who gave him, you know, the diagnosis that you'll never wrestle again. So is this something that is like a five alarm panic button for, you know, the office to figure out what the fuck are we going to do now? Or is Vince cool hand Luke and no big deal. We'll figure it out. That's always the case. It's just, that's what we do. We figure it out. And you also, you know, in the initial stages of an injury like that, in the initial stages of getting any kind of information like that, I think that anybody 
of sound mind, you know, for the most part, there's a little bit of panic that goes, runs through your veins. Right. Like, holy shit, man, what, what am I going to do with my life then? So you got to deal with that human being and their emotions and what they're feeling. And the fact that they're now wrestling with the fact that my career could be over. So you try to encourage them, give them a little time and then encourage them to look, how about you get a second opinion? How about you talk to somebody else? I don't know how, you know, we don't know this doctor, you know, you know, this doctor from your mom's best friend recommending him saying, you know, my daughter dated this guy that became an orthopedic and here's a scar. Who knows? But go seek out. And, and that was, and you're not saying that's really what happened. You're just saying hypothetical. It's, it's not someone you knew. Yeah. 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 And I don't think it was someone. It wasn't someone Sean knew. Right. Someone he just went to in San Antonio out of, you know, convenience. They were in San Antonio convenience. Yeah. So listen, let's just address the elephant in the room. There's always been rumor and innuendo. The chatter online, even back then is that Sean came up with a knee injury to get out of, of doing a job to bread at WrestleMania. Now I'm not asking if you think there was any validity to that yet. I am asking when you first heard, all right. So he was good enough to win it back at the Royal rumble, even when he was sick and nearly dead. And now a couple of weeks later, he'll never wrestle again. Mm. Did that pass the smell test for you? Or were there at least people who questioned it in the office? Well, a lot of people question, but I didn't question it at that point. No. Okay. Not at all. Tell you when I did question it, I questioned it in low mass when we came up with the idea to, okay, let's go on out let's have a match and it'll be, you know, we can do a schmoz and Sid's going to, you know, King Cancun with the chair and, uh, roll you up one, two, three and mess up your knee and you go on and have your surgery and whatever happens happens. Right. And when it's like, yeah, no, can't do that, man. Can't do that. Cause the knee's too bad. I think I just need to forfeit the title. That's when I was like, okay, you know, never question. You look, I guarantee he had a knee, a knee injury. I guarantee that. Yeah. 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 But, but you couldn't, you couldn't do this. You couldn't do a roll up schmoz. Yeah. yeah. You can't lay down for a three count. <laughs> Your knees hurt so bad. You can't lay down. Yeah. Yeah. NMLS number 65084 equal housing lender. Woo! The five-star reviews are in and it's confirmed. Savewithconrad.com can save you thousands. Jimmy E writes that we saved his family more than a thousand dollars a month. James S says we saved his family more than $1,200 a month. But how much can you save? It's free to find out right now at savewithconrad.com. But if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, or even worse, if you're in a 30-year loan, it's not a matter of if we can save you money, but a matter of how much at savewithconrad.com. So when you, when you, when you guys have that initial understanding that, okay, Sean's out, that was the initial plan is let's just have Sid beat him. And I mean, you knew right away. In all right. Yeah. Okay. That night. Yeah. On TV, you know, and I got to share this with you. This is, this is kind of cute in so many ways because I, I, I've known Jose Lothario since I was a kid. Right. And you know, now Jose is is working with us and Jose just 
so respectful and so I think Jose was looking at it too, like, Hey man, I, I got a nice gig going here. <laughs> right. So I'll keep this going. And, and Jose pulls me off to the side. He goes, Bruce, I think it's the boots that Sean wears. He wears those cowboy boots all the time. If we could just get him out of the cowboy boots, I think that will fix his knee. <laughs> and I'm looking at Jose like, man. Yeah. Jose, I, I, I I don't know, man. I don't think that's it. I think, uh, but hey, you know what? I think you should suggest that to him. <laughs> you know, let him know that if he just didn't wear cowboy boots, that probably his knee would heal up pretty good. Amazing. God, I, and God he, bless you know, him. came from the sweetest place. But I mean, if you could just looking at him, and he was so sweet about it, like a like a father that just didn't want to believe that his son set that fire with the match in his hand, <laughs> you know? Um, so that, you know, that was, and, and then Sean talking about, you know, and he would have the selective limp and then, uh, and then Jose says to me, he goes, and you know, I watched him. He ran up those stairs. I said, yeah, he did. Jose he sure did. So, yeah, and then the whole I lost my smile shit, it's like, wait a minute. Well, yeah. Now, now let's we, talk. we went from a knee, sir, knee injury to uh, mom says I don't smile anymore. Yeah. What the fuck does that have anything to do with the price of grain? Like, okay. So, yeah, there were a lot of those, you know, it, it, that's when it, that, that night, that day and that night lull. Where it all just went okay. So you're, you're kind of rolling your eyes at that point. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh. and Vince wants to believe, and Vince wants to. Vince wants to give the benefit of the doubt. Say face, yeah. So bad on that, you know, and and it's like you know we're all going, yeah, nah. Not not is what what there wasn't a sniff test shit. It was just it just wasn't it wasn't there. Dave would write Michael Screer was teased as being over due to a knee injury portrayed on television Thursday as being so bad. Even reconstructive surgery may not be able to repair the damage as a teary eyed Michaels, whose problem was clearly in the interview, not a knee injury said farewell to the WWF in a classic interview repeated to death on TV and pay-per-view about a hundred times in the ensuing weekend. It wound up only to have noted orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Jim Andrews say Michael's knee wouldn't even require surgery at all. And that after four to six weeks of rehab, he'd be able to return at press time. It appears the plan is for Michaels to now be put back into the WrestleMania mix. Although not as a wrestler, perhaps doing announcing or as a special referee wrestle a few major shows during the summer and return full time in the fall. Now, listen, uh, there's so much to talk about here and, and Lord knows we're not trying to, or I'm not trying to beat up on Sean. I want to say now, uh, from all accounts, Sean is a different guy now. So. Let's just, Oh my God. It's not the same person at all. Not even close. Uh, but that being said, I do want to acknowledge one big hole in this theory that I used to have, because I was a big believer that man, Sean just didn't want to drop the belt, which I get, but we used to hear Sean's best friend, Kevin Nash do interviews where he would say, man, you never even knew what kind of year you were going to have financially until you got your WrestleMania payoff. So by removing yourself from WrestleMania, okay, maybe you don't you know, have your big main event and lose the title. And I guess that's good, 
but you're still not going to have the title because you're going to drop it beforehand, but now you won't get the big mania payoff. Like on some level, mathematically, he hurts himself financially here. Does he not? I think so. But I think that in some ways that Sean may have been looking at it from a, no, I'll hurt them by not being on it. Short-sighted thinking. Yeah. But I think that that's where, I think that's where Sean's head was at the time. So once, um, you know, it sounds as if you guys tried to get Sean to go to Dr. Andrews and he doesn't. And instead says, no, I just want to, I just want to go to my local doctor. And, and I hear you. I get that. But then somehow he does wind up going to Dr. James Andrews. How does that happen? No, I won't go. This is what we're going with to, okay. You forfeited the title. I get your ass to Birmingham. How, how do you get him to come around to that line of thinking? He just finally did. I got you. You know, it, it, it's, it's okay. I didn't, didn't lose the title. I forfeited it, but God, what a miracle by God, if I could be hailed and come back and holy cow and, and overcome again. And I think that was, you know, I, I, I'm trying to put thoughts and trying to figure out what people were thinking. And, and that is what I think that, uh, could have been a thought going through his head that, okay, now, but yeah, of course I'm going to go to the best in the world now when, it's really wrong and come back. So I can't imagine how stressful this must've been because it's not even a Monday raw. It's a Thursday raw and in three Thursday, raw Thursday. That's right. And in three freaking days, you've got to promote a pay-per-view and another raw, you know, this is happening so quickly. So now this final four thing, which once upon a time, in Chattanooga was going to be for a, a, a number one contender opportunity. So the winner goes on to face Shawn Michaels, the world champion at WrestleMania. And now instead we're going to crown a new champion. When do you guys decide? All right, we're going to have Brett win it because he technically was the winner of the Royal rumble. We'll have him win the final four, but then we're going to have Sid beat him the next night on raw. Do you decide all of that the same day in Lowell? Or does that just come? Oh God, to- no. Okay. That, no, I think we, you know, we, we came up with the, I think, I think we came up with that fight fatal four way at some point, but then it's like, you know, we, no, we, we had to sit there and kind of mull on it and, you know, figure out you're not going to make a rash decision. Yeah. Although sometimes, you know, we have, but, uh, you want to look at it and try and, figure out the best story that you can tell through the story that just got blown up in your face. You're still getting shrapnel off. One last thing about the, I lost my smile promo. Did Vince know he was going to say that when he's standing in the ring, holding the microphone for him? No, he thought he's going to come out here. Just talk about the knee. All the smile stuff just catches him by surprise. Yep. Does Vince feel a little foolish, you think, standing in the ring when all that's happening? Yep. But he wouldn't sell it to you guys, you're saying? I sold a little bit. Okay. Sold a little bit. It was, it was what the fuck was that? <laughs> I got you. I mean, and here's the reality. I mean, I guess this is worth asking. In this era, it's not like you could just go to Vince and say, Vince, I'm just burnt out physically and emotionally. Like, that shit would not pass. You can't, we can't 
bank our whole business on a guy who taps out and says, I can't deal with the pressure. Right. But, but now these days, maybe that's different, but in 97, that just wasn't common speak. Right. I mean, you could have, I guess. I don't know that anybody ever did. Uh, you work as hard as Sean had to get to that point. And anybody, I think that anybody that would want to be in that position would have done anything to get there. So I don't think that, you know, going in, ah, well, I'm, I'm burnt out. Um, I hate to say, you know, burnout was the name of the game. It was you, you fought for that opportunity to get to the point to have all that on your back. You wanted to carry it. You wanted to be the go-to guy that everybody needed for media. You wanted to be the go-to guy that everybody wanted to work with. You wanted to be the go-to guy that uh, was selling live events and selling out pay-per-views and things like that. So I, I, me personally, I've never understood any other mindset. I don't – I do not understand the – mentality and people have tried to explain it to me uh, often i do not understand the mentality of uh hey i'm 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 happy just being in the business i'm i'm happy just you know having my my match no i want to be the guy yeah i want to be the champ i want to be the best yes i want to be the one that everybody paid money in this arena to see Right. And if you don't want to do that, why are you in the business? And I guess some people are content just because oh, I had a match. So let's talk about money for a minute because we, we sort of alluded to, man, wouldn't that kill his payday? I do think the money thing, the money piece becomes a conversation because it's written in Sean's book that he goes to Vince and gets a raise in 1996 while he's the champ. He gets $750,000 a year, which means maybe that WrestleMania payoff doesn't matter as much anymore. And there's almost a gentleman's agreement. I don't know that it was ever on paper, but it feels as if Sean is expressing. There was an understanding between him and, and Vince. Hey, nobody's going to make more than me except undertaker. And then Bret Hart comes in and as the rumor and innuendo goes, he gets an even bigger deal, uh, towards the end of 1996. And I could see how if you were Sean and you felt like, man, I've been doing all this media. I did all this work. It took forever for me to get the title. And now you've ran me ragged and you're going to bring the guy back that I beat for the belt and have me drop it back to him and pay him more money. It feels as if Sean had to be a little frustrated with Vince and maybe this whole lost my smile thing. Maybe he just wanted to be spiteful to Vince and I've, I've read over the years that Sean and Vince had a, a relationship like nobody else. It was totally different from all of Vince's other relationships with talent and channel and, and champions and whatnot. Do you think there was a binge maybe, or, or a tinge of spitefulness between Sean towards Vince here about the contract situ situation? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that there was a bit of jealousy and a bit of petulance. Yeah. That, you know, okay, well, I just won't work. You like him more. You want him back. You want him to be the champion. You want to pay him more. So just go do that. Right. Have him. Here you go. There's your guy. Let me know when you miss me. Let me know when you're sad. I'm over here in San Antonio. Two one Oh, or actually it was five one two at the time, I guess. 
No, that's Austin. Whatever the area code of San Antonio, <laughs> <laughs> fucking Texas is, we didn't have no goddamn cell phones, all right? About 10 years prior to this, there's a famous story. I wasn't there. I don't know. But supposedly, Dynamite Kid was hurting so bad when he was a tag champ, he couldn't barely move. And we put him in the ring, and obviously he doesn't wrestle. He's just there long enough for them to drop the belts, and then he's going to adios. But for a long time, there was this understanding, at least in the WWF, but I imagine in all of wrestling that it's the, for lack of a better word, we all heard this phrase a lot towards the end of the year, the time honored tradition that you lose the belt in the ring, you win them and lose them in the ring. And this is one of the first times that we see Vince let this happen multiple times. Sean forfeited the belt after the whole Marine thing for the intercontinental title. Now he's doing it again for the world title. Is a part of Vince or maybe people in the office like, Hey Vince, fool me once, fool me twice. Uh, yeah. But the Marine thing, that wasn't Sean's call. Right. That, that wasn't something that, that he had any control over whatsoever. That's apples and pomegranates. So, uh, you know, this one though. Yeah. This one was, was not cool. So there's rumor and innuendo out there. And I think this was talked about in some shoot interviews and, and conversations that Scott Hall had before his uh, untimely passing that Sean reaches out to Scott Hall to see if maybe there's a, a spot open for him on the other channel. Did you guys ever hear about Sean reaching out? I mean, it certainly feels as if he was comfortable stirring it up. There was a famous photo that was posted in the magazines and online of Sean wearing the outsider shirt. So he's wearing a photograph of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash wearing NWO shirts on his shirt, which is a WCW piece of merch at the time. And, and all of this, including Sean's entrance at WrestleMania, which, which we'll talk about in a little while, it feels as if he's just needling, like I can do what I want and I can go there if I want. And I just want people talking about me. Was that something that Vince was cool with and understood? Oh, he's just trying to work the marks or is this just, does Vince take it as a personal slap in the face? No, Vince wasn't cool with it at all. And I think it was Sean's way of either getting released or, you know, just getting a reaction. Do you remember him asking for a release? Did he ask for a release to the best of your recollection? I think that maybe at one point, I think Sean did. I think Sean, you know, did go in and say that, you know, I, I want to be down there with all my friends. You're saying around the, the knee injury time here. Before the pull apart with the I, hair and all I, that. I couldn't tell you the, the dates. Yeah. Wouldn't know the, the proper time frame, but I, I know you. that he did one time say, Hey, all my friends are down there. I want to be down there with my friends. Yeah. So the raw after final four, Dr. James Andrews goes on TV and says, Sean won't have to retire and needs to rehab for four to six it's weeks. It's a miracle. But if that doesn't work, surgery is a possibility. I mean, if you guys know this, why would you air it? Like to give Shawn Michaels fans hope it does feel like in hindsight, maybe don't air that. And then one day he just pops up as a surprise, but that's not the choice you make. Instead, James Andrews is on TV saying, Hey, remember that shit we said last week? Well, that's all bullshit. See y'all in six weeks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why air it though, Bruce? Why not just keep that a secret? 
I don't fucking know. Cause you kind of bury your baby face champion in the process, right? Like, Oh, so what he said a week ago, four days ago, it's not credible. Well, it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How about that? Well, it's speculated in the honesty. It's speculated in the observer that Sean took note of how Bret Hart had taken some time off and got a bigger contract and a better spot when he came back. And maybe Sean thought he could pull the same thing off. Did you ever think that was part of the strategy that, oh, maybe he's just trying to see if absence makes the heart grow fonder and maybe he can get some more leverage that way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, go home and you're all going to miss me. You're going to need me and you're going to want me to come back. I know once upon a time, you know, uh, some of the guys who were on the card, but maybe not working in the main events, they would often give a lot of credit to whoever was in the main event and, you know, thank them for the house or whatever, but it feels as if Sean has to have some sort of heat with the locker room at this point. Maybe he didn't have any sort of quote unquote click issues before, but maybe he does have some heat now that he's lost his smile and he's going home. Do you remember that being an issue with other talent? Yes. I think that there was a great deal of skepticism, a great deal of just anger. And, and it was like, you know, what the hell are we doing here? You know, the, are the inmates running the asylum again? And just a feeling of we're here working and Sean gets to do whatever he wants. So there, there was a, there was definitely a feeling of, of betrayal and guys were not happy. Guys specifically, meaning Bret Hart, others, Brett, Brett definitely wasn't happy. I don't think Taker was happy. I don't think Brett was happy. Um, you know, you can go on down the list. So at, at WrestleMania 13, Shawn Michaels does come out for commentary for the main event. He's got the big entrance. He does the NWO like Wolfpack sign, and he even holds his jacket open to, to throw it up. The next day on Nitro, Kevin Nash comes out and gets right in the camera, throws the sign up and says, right back at you, HBK. This has to just annoy Vince McMahon to no end. Does it not? Um, not as much as it annoyed Brett. Yeah. I mean, Brett comes out, calls Shawn Michaels, a pussy and a faker. Does Vince know he's already going back to Brett and Sean is, is Brett supposed to be saying all of this and we're working towards it since we know he can come back or is this legitimate, you know, is no, this was legitimate. These, this is kind of where it, 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 you know, they're like, Hey, let's get personal with it and all this stuff. And, and this kind of where it started. So, you know, it's. Yeah, it just it, to me it just got bad at this point. So we know that Sean is uh, going to be here on commentary. Uh, how did you feel about his performance that night? There's rumor and innuendo that maybe he was, as you like to say, feeling no pain. Did you get that vibe that when he was out there, he was, for lack of a better word, under the influence? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think that it was not only under the influence, but to the point of sticking it up, sticking it up everybody's ass and saying, you know, yeah, I can do whatever the fuck I want. And that was the general feeling that, that it was Sean was allowed to get away with it. And I think that people, the boys were like, fuck that. 
The next night on raw, Brett cuts this epic heel promo that really cements his heel turn that started really the night before he focuses on Sean as the face of the upcoming program. And Sean comes out and defends the fans and says that Brett, the Mark man takes his accomplishments way too seriously. Sean challenges Brett to a love it or leave it. And the debut of the figure four around the ring post is here. It's a really cool segment. I love this era of Monday night raw, but Brett taking his own accomplishments too seriously. And the Mark man, this feels way inside baseball. Is this Vince Russo encouraging some of this? Is this Sean, you know, sort of writing his own stuff here? What's Vince think about that? Yeah, this was Sean trying to get edgy. And, you know, you look at the, as we've said before, when you go back and you look at the attitude era and the stuff in the shorts and all that stuff, that was Sean just getting out there and, and, and pushing the envelope as far as he could to the point of what can I get away with? You know what I mean? So it was, Hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to be inside baseball. I'm going to do this shit and, uh, nothing they can do about it. Nah, 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 nah. Meltzer would say this, all this shoot stuff makes for fascinating television for some people, but it's one thing if it's Brett and Shawn Michaels using it as ammo to sell tickets for an eventual match, but to do it in that way and waste TV time airing real stuff on a fake TV show is kind of unprofessional. Is this one of the rare times you actually agree with Dave Meltzer? No. <laughs> okay. You, you think that this was cool that Sean went out no, there? But, I mean, no, no. What I find, what I find hilarious is that he would, he would later applaud that. Wasn't that great that it was, that was real. Ooh, that was a shoot. Ooh, that was a 16 star shoot there. <laughs> it was in the Tokyo Dome. It'd be like 90 stars. It's so cool because you didn't know if it was real or, or not because they were shooting. And that's the best kind because it makes everybody wonder. It's a hypocrite. Yeah, but getting... to, to, to go back to, you know, I'm getting the vibe. You, you don't like the Dave. smallest, the smallest audience. Yes. Yes. Especially in this era before the internet and social media are what they are. I mean, it's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. Yes. So the observer is going to say that Shawn Michaels is hoping to be back in the ring in may. And he's hoping for a match with Brett at King of the ring, which would have been June. How tenuous is the relationship with Sean and Vince after WrestleMania? Does it, does, is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Uh, just talk us through about Sean's state of mind and his relationship with Vince or the office or what have you. Wanting to give the benefit of the doubt, really wanting to give the benefit of the doubt, which is kind of hard. Cause you know, you got fucked, right? And it's. Just, uh, but it's like, okay, you cheated on me, but I'm going to bring you home and we're going to rebuild this relationship. And that was, that was the, I think that that was the, the feeling that was the, the overall just sense of, of what was going on. I think that, um, you know, Vince was like, okay. Screwed up, Sean. Um, let's make this thing right. Let's go make some money together. Sean comes out on April 7th, 1997 and does a 15 minute promo 
which Meltzer called a pretty much shoot interview. He says it was easily the best segment on either show, but it got murdered in the ratings. They said, Sean did a tremendous job getting himself over as a baby face. He says that he and Brett loathe each other, both in wrestling and in real life. He said, Brett didn't just turn a bad guy. Brett was always a bad guy. And then he used his parents, his sister, and his kids to get on TV so he could make money. He said, if Brett Hart could make a buck, he'd sell his mother. He said six years ago when he got the IC title and Brett got the WWF belt, he was happy playing second fiddle to Brett. But when it was Brett's turn to play second fiddle, he kicked and scratched every inch of the way. He said, Brett took time off because he thought the WWF and Michaels would collapse while he was gone. But instead they did the best business they'd done in six years and asked McMahon if that was true or not. And McMahon agreed. And Meltzer says reality break folks. It goes without saying that in the ring, Michaels did a super job in 1996 and he was my pick as wrestler of the year, but let's not rewrite history to say Sean's reign was Hogan like from a business standpoint, because nothing could be further from the truth. TV ratings collapsed in June of 96 on Sean's watch, not Brett's reached all time lows for the rest of the year, but the buy rates fell through his reign. And it was during Sean's reign for the first time in a decade that the WWF and both pay-per-view and TV ratings fell to the number two company in the U S and when it came to the house shows, while the WWF had a strong year in 96, it's best months were in February and March. And who was the champion then? So I do like that. We're at least having a conversation and we're, we're blurring the lines. I enjoy that. I know that you said maybe Meltzer did, maybe he didn't. Where did you land well, on? Didn't he just say this was the greatest promo ever? While well, he said the other one was too inside and <laughs> not good. Well, yes. Yeah, exactly. In both sides of his mouth, he speaks, and out out of both sides comes lies and just shit made up. But anyway, Sean would go on to say Michael said that Brett used a rival organization to stab the WWF, who made him in the back into upping the money he could get. He then said that Brett couldn't separate wrestling from real life, that he's obsessed with the limelight and the title, and that it used to bother him when fans cheered Brett, but now he realizes fans can cheer who they want. He said all the superheroes and role models couldn't live up to it. And he isn't claiming to be a role model. He's only claiming that if you pay to see him wrestle, he'll work harder to give you a good show and harder than anyone else. Ton of inside baseball, but acknowledging where business was and all that in a promo. Do you think that belongs on television? Just your opinion? No, I don't. I really don't. I, I don't think that, um, Tom Brady's going to get on and cut a promo about how NBC many more viewers there are when he throws a football. Correct. Tiger Woods isn't going to get on and talk about when he swings golf club, how many more people tune in. Right. Uh, I don't think that the general public cares about that. We, we got obsessed with the, Oh, Hey bro, it's a shoot, you know, bro, you got to tell him. I don't think that anyone that watches television has a favorite television show that you watch every week. Right. I don't think that anybody can tell you what their numbers are. For the most part, what their ratings are each and every week. The only time the ratings come into play to the average viewer is when their favorite television show gets canceled. And they wonder what happened. Right. Well, hey, there weren't enough people that watched it. <laughs> yeah. And 
I think that there are times that the the Monday Night Wars made people obsessed with the ratings and who won and what have you, and it became a part of a storyline. But it is a storyline that I don't think that the general public, that the general fan, the casual fan, the even the non-casual fan really cares about, that they're not waiting on – Tuesday afternoon to wonder, oh, my God, what did Raw do last night in the ratings? How many people watched Raw? Did, did more people watch when, when Sean was talking about Brett or when Brett was talking about Sean? Right. Did, did it spike? Nobody cares. Did you enjoy it? Did you feel some emotion and some passion in that promo? Did you care? If you did, great. It was a great promo. If you didn't, okay, maybe it wasn't so good. Maybe it should have been shorter. So I think that, yeah, I think that the, the inside business of our business, our, 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 our show should be story driven and, and talent driven, not business driven. You know what I mean? I do. I know what you mean. Uh, at in your house, revenge of the taker, Sean is all over the show fighting off the new heart foundation, Brett, Owen, Davey, and now Brian Pillman added to the mix. Now, of course, Brett's knee is going to be a real situation. So with Brett on the shelf, it looks like we're going to pivot to Austin and Michaels forming an unlikely tag team to take on Owen and Davey over the summer while Brett is trying to heal up. And there's talk that if Brett is healthy enough to wrestle at King of the ring, it'll be Brett versus Sean. Did you think not too long after WrestleMania, we'll call it April. Did you think you were really going to get Brett and Sean at King of the ring or were you suspect of that all along? Hmm. I don't know if I want to say I was suspect of it. I just didn't know if, um, I don't know if it was the right time to do it. Right. You, you, You didn't get mania. So why do it at King of the Ring? Hold right. off till SummerSlam. I agree. Hold off to Survivor Series. Let's 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 make them wait even longer for it. Let's build it even more. Get them both healthy, and keep them away. Around this time, we'll call it May of '97. There's talk in the WCW locker room that gets reported in the Observer, where they're saying they had heard Sean would never put bread over clean. Now, of course, we know where that comes from. It comes from Hall and Nash or maybe Waltman, probably Hall and Nash. But when that makes the observer, had you guys heard that? Or did you think no. that was okay? So you thought at that point it could just be Meltzer bullshit. Yes. Okay. So May 12th, 1997, boy, this is a big show. It's a pivotal moment in this Brett and Sean saga, the Hart foundation, which now includes Jim Neidhart closed the show on raw. They're all cutting a promo on Sean Michaels. It goes super long though. And Brett misses his time cue as Brett claims. And the show goes off the air before they have the planned finish, which was Brett in the ring in a wheelchair. Cause again, he's, he's got a knee injury, but Sean was supposed to hit the super kick. And of course it doesn't happen on the air. So the show goes off the air with Brett, just running down Sean and Sean never gives Brett his comeuppance. And I think you're at ringside when this happens, what do you remember? In that moment where, you know, we're live and we're about to go off the air and Brett's just going on and on and on. No, I wasn't at ringside. I was, I was at gorilla and I was livid. 
absolutely livid because Brett knew his cue. There were people down there giving him the cue. There were people telling him to go. Sean was telling him to go. We didn't shoot him so that we could tell Sean, tell him to go. We're not shooting you. So, yeah, it was bad. And, um, yeah, it was the shits, man. It was the shits. And in that one, I, I feel that, I feel that Brett was just like, you know, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wait. And, and here's the thing, man. If Brett Hart and Shawn Michaels, both, the, without question, the two guys that I could absolutely count on every single time to nail their time to the second. Bret Hart was a guy that I knew would hit his cue at the exact perfect time whenever he was put in that position. Brett didn't fuck up like that. He just didn't. Brett was that good. Brett, Brett and Sean, to me, were the absolute best at that. So it was something else. It was something else because I know he's getting the cues. Let's, uh, let's talk about how Sean received this because it's been said over the years. Sean was pissed. Goddamn, Sean was pissed. And of course he's pissed because the footage does wind up being shown, but it's shown on shotgun and superstars. It's not shown on raw. It's not shown on the big show. I'm sure Sean's furious. Take us backstage after you guys are off the air. Fans are filing out of the crowd, or maybe you're running a dark match, but Brett, Sean, Vince yourself, there has to be some interaction on the other side of that curtain. What's it look like? No, Sean just came back and, and was pissed and, you know, saying, you know, he had the cue. He never, he didn't, he never got up. He never got up. You know, he goes, I, I, I fucking, he goes, I about kicked him out of, out of the chair. And he goes, I'm trying to be a professional. Now it's Sean. <laughs> I'm trying to be a professional here. Um, and, uh, it just, yeah, it was, it was mayhem. And, and Brett came back and I, I went, I didn't get the cue. And there was, you know, everybody went their separate ways and, and it was really no more than that. But, you know, yeah, man, I was pissed. I was livid. I was like, you know, I, I'm one also too, man, when you, you don't hit your cues and you don't, uh, things screw up. We're the only one that knows right? We screwed up. Right. The audience doesn't know it. The television audience doesn't know that was a screw up. Um, you know, we put in intentional screw ups, to, you know, and get people go, Oh, that was a screw up. Um, just to have fun. But so you can always use that logic too, that, that, okay, we, we planned it that way. We planned to go off the air that way. And then after, and here's what happened after we went off the air, you know, um, and I'll sit there and tell you, yeah, that's how we planned it. It's not. But yeah, it's the shits. That's all I can say, man. Is it just wasn't good? 
Boy, it gets worse before it gets better. The next week they're in Mobile, Alabama, May 19th. Another memorable moment. You've talked in the past about this. We're going to hit it again here. Brett and Sean are, uh, maybe getting a little too far into their shoot comments. And there's one comment here that goes way too far. Sean Michaels does an in-ring promo and he talks about Brett having some sunny days. Boy, that's, uh, that's probably crossing a line when there's lots of rumor and innuendo inside the wrestling business about this young lady. Who's very attractive and Brett has a wife and small kids at home. Less than ideal. Did you have any idea that comment was coming and what is your reaction and Vince's reaction when that falls out of his mouth? Nobody had any idea that was coming. And I think it was a spur of the moment thing. Um, Brett didn't even catch it live. Okay. Brett didn't even, had no idea what he said. I think Brett knew until the next day when he got home and, uh, his wife said something to him. Yeah. So, um, totally out of line, totally out of line. Uh, I thought that was, you know, immature. It was wrong. And, um, does anybody do anything to Sean? Like, does Vince sit him down and say, all right, we got to find you, man. Something's got to happen. Well, I don't think Vince heard it or understood it. I got you. It was so inside that it yeah. flew over some heads. Right. I got you. You know, to, to the few people that, you know, may have, uh, whispered that, that shit, you know, it had to be explained to us afterwards. So anything has to be explained. It's like, oh, so that, that was even inside, inside, inside baseball. Inside the inside baseball. Right. On Thursday. Inside Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> baseball Thursday. It's announced here that the King of the Ring match with Brett and Sean is going to have some weird stipulations. The Hart Foundation is going to be handcuffed around the ring post to each other. And if Brett doesn't beat Sean in under 10 minutes, Brett will never wrestle in the United States again. So we're promising a big match. We're promising some crazy stipulations. We end the show where Austin beats Neidhart in under two minutes. And it's announced that Shawn Michaels is going to be in action next week when he's going to be tagging along with Steve Austin to take on Owen and Davey boy for the TV titles. That's an interesting pairing. And he comes back in the ring, May 25th says, I couldn't wait to get back in the ring. I flew all over the place and put on one of my best performances early on in the match. I did my backflip off the top and I did it for a very specific reason. I knew that everyone, including Brett was saying, I faked my knee injury to get out of putting him over at WrestleMania. I wanted to rub it in their face. Every time I heard rumors about me, I made sure I did something to stick it to the guys who were spreading them. So I don't know how much of a rumor it was since, well, Dr. James Andrews said he'd be fine in four to six weeks. And he proved here just a few months after he could never wrestle again. Not only could he wrestle, he could do a bike, a backflip off the top. Okay, can I tell you the truth? Please do. I'm gonna. I've never told anybody this before. Here comes some bullshit. Look at you grinning already. Here we go. No, I I healed Sean. Oh gosh, you laid hands on him. Uh, oh, you Mister Miyagi'd his ass. I thought you were brother love gimmicking him. You're saying uh, I Mister Miyagi'd his ass. And I laid hands upon him and I healed him. You did heal a guy here in, uh, in Huntsville, Alabama on, on super right back did. in the day. Yeah. Yeah, I did. 
Well, that wouldn't fly. <laughs> no. Oh, boy. Well, howdy. So it's hard to defend his actions here, is it not? I mean, he's alienating himself from everybody by this point, not just Brett, but Vince. I mean, does Vince ever get... Is Vince really pissed with this or does he know I've got to manage this personality with kid gloves? Well, Vince managed Sean, how he managed Sean and you know, he did what needed to be done. And you know, his famous saying, get the match in the ring and it's our motto. And that's what we did. So, you know, he, he had his management style and that's what he did. But I, you know, look, the other Part of that is Sean would go out and bust his ass and steal the show. Sometimes it's hard to be mad at that. Yeah. Well, he'd put on a great performance here. Go out of your way to watch this one. It's kind of a forgotten match. Sean and Steve win the tag titles from Davey and Owen, a great time raw match in that era. And it's decided, well, Brett can't actually work. So we need something for Sean to do. So let him take on his own tag team partner at King of the ring. And they have an interesting dynamic as tag team partners because they both hate the Hart Foundation, but they don't really like each other and they don't really trust each other. The pay-per-view match at King of the Ring gets four stars from Dave Meltzer, even with a DQ ending. So wow, clearly we've got a, a very talented young man here who maybe has some personal issues and maybe has some emotional issues, but it's supposed to be worth it until what happens next. Quote, this is from Sean's book, by the way, by the time I wrestled in the tag match, Brett and I had nearly reached the breaking point. He had said bad things about my folks and apologized, but now he'd gone on to stir things up by telling the dirt sheets and others. I faked my injury and retired before WrestleMania 13 to avoid putting him over on June 9th. We had a television taping in Hartford. I was in the dressing room when he came up to me and said, I just want to say, and I cut him off before he could finish. Don't talk to me. You haven't said a word to me for three weeks. If you can't talk to me for three weeks, I don't want to talk to you now. I don't think Brett was used to people talking to him that way. And about five minutes later, I was turning around to get some gear out of my bag and I felt somebody push me from behind. I turned around and Brett asked, what's your fucking problem? You, I yelled. He tried to punch me, but I peeled back and he missed. He pushed me again, but this time I stood up. He swung again and missed. And the next thing I knew he went for a double leg dive. I caught him around the upper body and we went straight back through a piece of paneling. We had each other in front face locks when Pat Patterson and Davey boy came over and grabbed us. Pat was yelling. Come on, you guys. I let go and Brett yanked a handful of hair off my head that hurt like heck, but I didn't retaliate. The fight was over and I went storming into Vince's office and I told him I'm out of here. This is BS. I saw Aldo Montoya who later wrestled here as just incredible and asked if he'd give me a ride back to my hotel. He wasn't working that night. So he took me, I missed the show and flew home the next day and Vince sent my lawyer, Skip McCormick, who I'd hired when I found out about Brett's contract, a letter stating I had violated my contract. Skip responded by writing a letter claiming WWE had failed to provide a safe working environment. Skip told me that they were trying to blame everything on me, but once he wrote the letter, it would be back in their lap. And they would ask me to come back. And that's exactly what happened. So this has been a long time coming. It felt like it was unresolved for months, maybe longer at this point. Were you surprised when you heard, Hey man, they got in a fight for real backstage, no cameras. No, you knew it was coming. 
yeah, I think everybody saw, you know, it was going to explode. Um, I was in Vince's office when Sean came in with his hair. And it was Sean who claimed that, you know, expressed that he goes, these are unsafe working conditions. Yeah. Um, so, you know, <laughs> yeah, a lot of that is, is quite slanted. Both guys are guilty. Both guys were guilty. Um, there's nobody, nobody's hands are clean in this one. What about I Vince? Think, Should Vince have stepped in and put a stop to this? Did he let it go too far? I think Vince, you know, kept getting assurances from each one of them individually. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, and I don't even know if pulling them together and, you know, and have that come to Jesus meeting would have helped or not. You know, who knows? I think that it was probably too far gone because it was every time that, uh, Hey man, listen, Conrad, I'm just going to talk about that. That one night, Nuevo Laredo. Okay. And you go, Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. We're just going to talk about Nuevo Laredo. Yeah, 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 man. I'm talking about Nuevo Laredo. And I, and I said, anyway, Conrad, and we had this donkey and we we're in Nuevo Laredo, but that's nothing compared to when we were in Juarez. And remember the Juarez thing with the tarantula and the iguana. And you're like, man, you weren't supposed to tell anybody about the tarantula and iguana. We didn't agree on that. Uh, it's, it just went, it kept going too far. It kept, it was one upmanship. And, um, I think both guys were guilty of that. And, and I think that, you know, in later years, I think both admit that and have come to terms that they both realize their part in this whole thing. Um, the, <laughs> the fight, I wasn't there, man. I didn't see it. Uh, Pat was, and, you know, Pat was like, I was sitting there and then all of a sudden and they go to boom and they go right to the fucking the, the wall and the, the fire and the, the, the cushion and then I go out the base and I get it not stopping and Brett is pulling out Sean's hair and yanking it at the base and it at the fire and it's got hair flying everywhere. Uh, <laughs> Pat, <laughs> we were, I got to tell you, I was more worried about Pat having a heart attack than anything else. I didn't care about Brett and Sean getting hurt. I was worried about fucking Pat having a heart attack. It was a lot of excitement for him. His two favorite guys. He loved Brett and he loved Sean. He loved them both like they were his sons. And to see him fighting, oh, why can't you fight? No, you hug each other. At a pace. Give him a hug. Go have some smoke meat and a Montreal steak. At your pace. Get the hot dog, you know, with the sauce on it. A little mustard at a pace. Okay, poo. Everything will be okay. We go to Montreal. You'll love it. Let me ask a question. Um, I can't help but think about our old pal, Jim Ross. And... I wanted, if, if you were Jim Ross right now, I would ask how would the cowboy have handled this, this situation with Brett and Sean, and you spent some time with bill, but maybe not as much as you did with Mr. Bosch. How would Mr. Bosch have handled this? Would he have done it the way Vince did it? Or would there have been a different approach? Um, Bosch probably would have fired him. Really? Yeah. Bosch probably wouldn't have used him again and let him go to WCW. Well, I mean, well, no, we're talking about Houston and shit. I mean, I, I don't know how Paul would have handled a national company. Paul, you know, was Paul was a different kind of promoter. He was one promoter, a one town promoter. Right. I think if, uh, 
I think Watts would have, God damn, I'll just lock him in a room, let him fight it out. Um, even though he wouldn't. Uh, and Bill will probably just find the hell out of him and make him work it out. Bosch would fire. I think Bosch just wouldn't use him anymore. Here's what Dave wrote. The enigma of being arguably the most talented performer in American rings and seemingly being ill-equipped emotionally to handle the spot. His talent has gotten him came out in recent weeks. Michaels became at odds with Vince McMahon by demanding a new contract. One that would cut his pay or put his pay at the same level as his rival who fell into a bidding war and came out with the most lucrative guaranteed money contract in the history of the company. When McMahon turned down his demands, he gave his notice wanting to join his real friends in WCW with four years remaining on his contract. McMahon refused and the general attitude during the week was they had no idea where Michael's head was and contingency plans were being made both for television and the pay-per-view and house shows. If Michael wasn't going to appear. So this is where I guess the big, let me go hang out with my real friends. And I guess this is where the attorney is asking for him to match Brett's contract. Do you think, I mean, could the company have even afforded to do that at this point? No. Yeah. And nor were they, you know, it was, it, look, it was just, uh, a lot of posturing at that point. And Vince was willing to, to dig in. And if Sean, you know, wanted to, to quit and try and go there, that was going to be a lengthy legal battle. Vince eventually decides, you know what? We need to meet. So I believe Sean wrote in his book that Vince flew to San Antonio to meet with Sean. And allegedly Sean has his father sitting right next to him. When Vince says you have a problem with prescription pills and Sean defends himself and flat out asks for his release and Vince refuses saying you don't want to go there. They don't know how to use a guy like you. It will drive you nuts. Do you remember this meeting in San Antonio happening? Did you know ahead of time that Vince was going to bring up the prescription pill thing? And did you know Sean's dad would be in there for the meeting? Uh, yeah, I knew all about the meeting and, and what have you. Um, I was going to go, uh, and at the last minute, Vince said, he goes, no, he goes, I, I don't think anybody should come with me because I need to do this myself. And then Sean's dad ended up being there yeah. with Sean. Um, but yeah, I knew, I knew Vince was going to bring everything up. He's, he's going to throw it back in their face and say, you know, Hey, you've got to address the problem, right? To solve the problem, you got to address the problem. So I think that that was Vince's way of, of addressing the problem, you know, or, or, I mean, solving the problem. Or helping to solve the problem, at least get it started. In this era, are you technically the head of talent relations? I know it didn't last long. I ask. I think so. Yeah. I ask because you go on Livewire and read a statement that says that Shawn Michaels was in uh, breach of contract and he had seemingly left the WWF. I did. I think so. Wow. You don't remember that? No. Hey. Could happen. <laughs> How, um, I mean, if you're running talent relations, if I can't imagine trying to do this during this era, are you just begging, please, Jim Ross fucking do this. I don't want to do this. <laughs> I'm begging anybody to just do it. Um, yeah, not a fan. I can't <laughs> anybody, please. 
uh, Howie the mailman. Howie, town relations. Anybody, please. Please. Uh, so very quickly, of course, um, the story changes. Sean's coming back. I assume is this Vince trying to negotiate this or is he letting the lawyers handle it? No, this is, this is Vince and, and trying to finally get Sean to come to reason. So he returns on July 14th. It's uh, raw in San Antonio, of course. And right after Dale Wilkes debuts as the Patriot and the heart foundation are cutting a promo in the ring. Here comes Sean. And later he'll cut a promo where he practically begs Vince McMahon to be a part of the SummerSlam main event as a referee for the match between Brett and the undertaker. I'm curious, what do you remember about the conversations? If there were any of how we're going to get Sean and Brett in the ring together at SummerSlam after what we just saw, is there some sort of sit down? Okay. You guys got to work together type meeting with them and Vince. I don't really know if they got them together, but I know Vince obviously got Brett individually and got Sean individually and, and told them, yeah, you guys are going to work together and, and told Taker too. I think Taker was all that keen on it as well. Of course, at SummerSlam, Sean is the referee and we've got this very public feud now with Brett and Sean, and it comes to a head. Sean is going to get spit on by Brett Hart towards the end of the match. He's going to swing a chair, Sean or Brett ducks. So Sean accidentally crushes the undertaker and that leads to Brett getting the pin. Sean counts and Brett becomes the second person ever to hold the WWF championship for the fifth time. And all of a sudden, whether it was the original intention or not, it feels like we've got to heal Sean Michaels. Thank God. Sean Michaels had been a baby face for all of 96 and the top baby face. And at this point, he's been trying to be a baby face, but now it's clear we're going to go in the direction of a heel. Did you prefer Shawn Michaels' work as a baby face or a heel? Both. But uh, I think Shawn's, I don't know, man. He was a hell of a fucking baby face. Um, Shawn's just a hell of a performer. I, I liked him as a heel. What did Shawn prefer, do you think? Probably being a heel. Yeah. So let's was so, it's just so much more fun. What's the strategy in putting Sean in a program with taker? Of course he cost him the championship at SummerSlam, but was that by design? Like you knew, all right, we'll make him a special referee and then he can work, just work with taker. A, a lot of people who are maybe are conspiracy theorists would think, well, if they're putting him with taker, it's because they know taker ain't going to put up with no bullshit. Was that the thinking? Well, it was a. Good program. Yes, it was. It was it was a damn good program. A little cocky son of a bitch, and um, people want to see him get killed because he cost Undertaker the championship. So to me, it was it, it was just logical, and it helped us get you know uh, to a lot of places. Helped us get to Kane. Helped us get to Brett and Sean. Helped us, you know, in a lot of ways. So it was. Pretty fun stuff. The next day in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Meltzer would say the original plan for the raw main event was for Shawn Michaels to cost dude love and stone cold, the tag team titles, which would then go back to Owen and Davey. But instead Sean winds up doing a promo that really solidifies him as a heel. Is that something you think Sean would have campaigned for? Or as long as it winds up as him a heel, it doesn't really matter. 
Yeah, it really didn't matter. I think that, you know, people just, I think you needed to hear from Sean. Yes. It was more than anything. You, you needed to understand and hear what his motivation was, why. Yeah. And in, in not really accepting, I think that that made you hate him even more. Sean wrote in his book that this idea, or at least partly this idea is putting Sean and Hunter together. And the next week we get the beginnings of DX. It happens on August 11th in Biloxi. Sean Michaels is going to have an 11 minute and two second match with mankind. It's fantastic. Rude comes out, hits mankind with a chair and Michaels is going to bleed from both the arm and head, but the blood isn't obvious on TV and Helmsley at one point trips mankind. They've been in a big feud, of course, for months. And Meltzer would say it appeared as if they're going to form yet another group, which will likely be called the click with Michaels, rude Helmsley and China undertaker came out at the end and bear was on video vowing that Kane is coming, but let's talk about how this pairing came to be. We know behind the scenes, Shawn Michaels has been boys with, with Hunter for quite a while. And we know that at this point, I think Hunter and, and China are officially an item. I'm curious. Was this something Sean always wanted to do? We know that he wanted to be with his friends and, and we know that he used to travel with these guys, but this really brings Hunter up a level to be brushing. And, and I know he just won King of the ring and all that jazz, but Sean Michaels is a bona fide main eventer. Helmsley's not quite yet there. Is it something that Sean wanted to do or was he really just trying to help out a friend? It was something Sean wanted to do and it was to help out a friend, but I think Sean saw something in triple H and we weren't doing anything big with triple H. So it was like, okay, no harm, no foul. Try it. And let's see how it works. And it was able, it gave Sean somebody to play off of Hunter, somebody to play off of. And they were, you know, their chemistry was natural. So it worked, but it was, it was a way to level up triple H on August 18th from Atlantic city. Meltzer would say this apparently last week when Michaels found out about rude doing the bodyguard gimmick, he cried and complained because he didn't want rude. And if he wanted a bodyguard, he wanted Helmsley. So rude will be with him a little longer and then move on to other things. If everything works out rude is yet to sign a WWF contract. So in this climate, putting him on TV carried some kind of risk. The plan at this point is for him to only work television. Do you remember Sean not liking the idea of being paired with rude? I thought they were great together. I liked it. They were. I, I don't think Sean liked it. That was more of a Russo thing. And, you know, as far as the contract goes, um, yeah, Rude didn't sign his contract. And, and that drove me absolutely nuts because every week I would say, why are we putting him on TV when we don't have a contract? The main event that night is unbelievable. It's Undertaker and Mankind taking on Sean and Hunter. Uh, Undertaker and Mankind go over by DQ in 12 minutes and 18 seconds. Rude comes out. There's a chair involved and Shawn Michaels just wraps the Undertaker's head around with a chair. It's unbelievable. Taker does a major blade job. According to the observer, he's bleeding everywhere. This is not common on Monday night raw in this era or not common in any television wrestling in this era, maybe pay-per-views here or there, but buddy, this is a big one. Where does the the change come for the blood because there had been discussion for a while that, you know, wrestlers were doing this barbaric practice and we're not going to do it. And it feels like it was sort of hokey pokey with the blood at this era, but this is a big one here. Yeah. I think it just depends on the situation. 
you know, everything was different. Ground zero is, uh, in Louisville, September 7th. It's the very first Shawn Michaels undertaker match. They're going to have a, a ton, maybe not the first ever, but certainly the first one on pay-per-view and they're going to have a wild, great brawl and fast forward a little bit. And there's some conversation about Sean's behavior. Wouldn't you know it? Probably the biggest news of the past week revolved around Shawn Michaels behavior at the September 9th taping in Muncie, Indiana. Neither Vince McMahon nor the undertaker were at the taping. And Sean did an interview where he came out in tight biker shorts with socks or socks stuffed in his crotch for whatever reason, and proceeded to make some very lewd gyrations, like acting as if he was humping Jim Ross, swearing during his interview and calling out undertaker who was on tape on the video wall. Everything was able to be edited off the show. And if you didn't know about the incident, you wouldn't even know the interview was heavily edited since undertaker wasn't there, but he was on tape on the big wall that people thought he was when Sean kept insulting him, calling him a big chicken shit and begging him to come out and calling him more names. than when he didn't come out, it made undertaker look bad to the live crowd. Not to mention it was totally unprofessional. Whether Michaels was doing it in another attempt to get fired so he could go to WCW or he had other ideas up his sleeve, it definitely brought out a lot more negativity to him in a lot of circles. Man, this is a, a promo I'll never forget because it just felt so out of left field for him to be wearing what he was wearing, obviously gimmicking his crotch up. And then when you hear the worst part isn't even what we saw on TV, Vince isn't there. You were, I believe. Is this one of those? When the cat's away, the mice will play sort of thing. And how did you deal with this? Um, well, first of all, he didn't stuff, he didn't stuff himself until right before he went out. Got it. And also I don't make a, uh, habit of checking people's crotches before they go out. Tony Schiavone does. He's a, uh, world well, famous hog watcher. You know what? Um, needed him that day. Didn't you? Not really. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I was pissed and, you know, Sean just came back didn't stop and just, you know, I believe he left right after, but it was unprofessional. It was not cool. Vince wasn't there. And since it was tape, he, you know, couldn't see it either. So, um, didn't get to see it and talk about it till the next day. And when Vince saw it was obviously pissed off, um, fine, Sean, um, probably the biggest fine ever at the time. And do you remember how much it was? It was a lot. Okay. It was a lot. And Sean was like, okay, fine. I'll pay your fine. Here you go. Um, but it was, uh, five figures. Yeah. It was just unprofessional. But then you fast forward six weeks and all of a sudden it was, that was attitude. Mm. Sean was doing there. That was attitude. Mm. We need more of that. And the attitude era was born. I mean, you've said that pretty consistently that this stuffed crotch interview is the beginning of attitude. According to Vince McMahon, hundred percent. So let's talk about one night only in Birmingham, England. Sean defeats the British bulldog to win the European title. We're going to cover this show in long form in a few weeks. Uh, but the plan for the finish was supposed to lead to a return match the following April. When the company came back, we'll table that for a few weeks from now. Uh, let's talk about September 22nd. This is a big time Monday night raw from Madison square garden. 
Lots going to happen here. Stone Cold's going to get arrested. We're going to see Cactus Jack come back. Lots of cool stuff. But Shawn Michaels does an interview here and calls out the Undertaker, doing almost a spoof of what was edited off the show the prior week, saying he knew he was there this week. An Undertaker came out, but Helmsley ran out, and the two destroyed Taker with a chair with a little help from Rick Rude. Finally, did you just rip ass? No, that was my damn chair. You ripped ass. No. Ladies and gentlemen. Look, right now, if I was to do that, it would be another situation. Oh, it'd be a liquid deal. It'd be thunder. Oh, okay. With pouring rain. (laughs) Hail the brimstone. (laughs) So Brett beats Goldust with a sharpshooter. Eventually, uh, Sean and Helmsley hit the ring. They attack Brett. A little help from Rude and China here. It winds up with Owen Bulldog and the return of Jim Neidhart. Meltzer would say it was funny to see Neidhart attack Rude, who by agreement isn't allowed to receive any blows due to his legal settlement with WCW. Rude didn't seem too happy about that. And Brett didn't sell for Michaels either. Finally, the Undertaker comes out and the room, the, the ring winds up cleared, except for Brett, Sean and Undertaker as the show goes off the air and Taker chokeslam both at the same time. And of course. They immediately go into a dark match that only goes five and a half minutes. Sean's working in jeans here. The finish would see Taker tombstone Michaels, but Helmsley pulls Taker out of the ring, allowing Brett to jump on Michaels for the uh, pin to keep the strap. And now the big news here on this same show is this is where Vince meets with Brett and tells him, I can't afford your contract. Any idea if Sean knew that conversation was happening? I do not think so, but I do not know. Because it feels as if that was a point of contention with Sean, Brett's contract. Maybe Vince says, Hey man, I know that was an issue. Just want to let you know, I'm letting him know I can't honor it. And maybe that placates. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what he told Sean, whatever it is. We went from, I'll never do a clean job for you to, uh, you can beat me in a dark match the same night. I think that's interesting. Uh, bad blood in St. Louis, the first ever hell in a cell. My God, what a match. Uh, one of the all time great matches, I think in WWE history, the very first hell in a cell. Of course, we see the debut of Kane, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be, it's gotta be Kane. Can't say enough nice things about that match. Go out of your way to watch it. I think it might be the match of the year from 1997. It's crazy to think it happened in October of 97, the same month where WCW presented Eddie Guerrero and Ray Mysterio at Halloween Havoc. Just fantastic. And now October 6th, we're in Kansas city. DX is going to play the curtain call uh, fan cam footage on the Titan Tron from May 19th, 1996. This is something I never imagined we would see on TV. This is where, you know, you wanted to talk about edgy and that was real and the work shoot and all that. Well, Hunter and Sean come out and do an interview where Michael said he was the real icon of wrestling. And unlike the other icons, which is what Piper's calling himself, he wasn't a fossil. He showed the famous click curtain call from MSG where they all sort of break kayfabe and hug and make fun of Vince McMahon for what they did. They came back and now Brett comes out mainly to challenge Hunter. Although it winds up with lots of shoot comments going back and forth, including Brett calling Hunter and Sean. Can't believe this is real homos and said he made more money than all three of them combined. Michael said he was the real star because he only has to wrestle once a month or at least once a week while Brett's out there every night 
and Brett needs wrestling, but wrestling needs Sean. Brett said that until Michaels has the belt, he'll never be the showstopper and made reference to two guys being in the ring with him. One being China. And he claimed to have run diesel and razor out and called them Sean's boyfriends. And Michael said in reference to them leaving, not to confuse expansion with destruction. And in the main event of the show, triple H defeats Brett with a count out after a super kick from Sean to Brett on the floor, man, a lot to unpack there. If we had it to do over again, probably wouldn't do some of those comments from Brett, but what'd you think of the airing of the curtain call? Is this hated it? Yeah, man. Can't believe it. Hated it. Hated it. Hated it. Hated it. Hated it. And, uh, besides that, I didn't like it. <laughs> November 3rd, Sean and Helmsley do an interview. Fans are chanting. Sean is gay. So of course he kisses triple H on the lips. He goes to kiss China, but she didn't seem to like that audible. Uh, Michaels, uh, wanted to say he was God as a spoof on Hogan's interview the prior week, but Hunter covered his mouth as a tease of not letting him say it and saying to be God, you have to be as old as God and talked about the age in a cage match, which of course was the Halloween havoc show with Piper and, uh, or, or Randy Savage rather. And, um, no, this is 97. So this is Piper and Hogan slaughter comes out and they put on helmets with the windshield wipers on them. A pretty iconic moment for DX. Is that a Russo call little windshield wiper gimmicks? Cause that's pretty fun. Most of that was Sean and Hunter. Hmm. I like that slaughter orders, uh, Michaels to wrestle, uh, shamrock later in the show. And the finish would see shamrock beat Michaels by DQ when rude and triple H interfere after the ref misses Sean tapping out from the ankle lock. So the idea here is that shamrock has made both Brett and Sean tap out in consecutive weeks. We're trying to move him up a little bit here. But it is noticeable in the observer quote, it was a good match, except Sean was calling spots so loudly. You could actually pick them up on TV. And there were two badly mistimed spots. One of which Michaels was almost laughing about. Do you think Sean was intentionally calling spots loud just to stir it up again? Or is this just a snafu? Uh, I think it's just a snafu more than anything. And probably some extra sensitive mics that were open. Well, we know what's coming next. We've got the infamous Montreal screw job. What else can be said about that? We've done multiple shows on it. Check the archives for more details. Well, Bret Hart lost the world title. Shawn Michaels won. I don't know if you heard that. Oh, okay, cool. What was the reaction from all the boys towards Sean after I know that Sean was saying I wasn't involved. I didn't know. We know he's lying. We know he knew, but his peers, it feels as if 1997, he found a way almost one by one to alienate almost everyone, right? Yes, he certainly did. And I think that, uh, you know, there was a, a divisiveness, I think in, in the backstage. So it, uh, you know, it was uncomfortable. And I think that, uh, Nobody wanted to believe Sean or give him the benefit of the doubt. You guys had a silly gimmick earlier in the year where it was almost like a battle Royal dark match at a raw taping in September, uh, right before the very first, I guess, Monday night raw from MSG Brooklyn brawler wins it. And as a stipulation, it meant he was going to get a title shot when they returned. So when you guys go back for a house show on the 15th of November, Sean actually wrestles the Brooklyn brawler for the title and darn it. Brawler didn't win. Damn. Uh, but that's not, that 
it's not the real main event. Of course, fans wouldn't want that. I'm sure it becomes Hunter and Sean taking on Taker and Austin. So they're going to get some big stuff, but we're not done with Bret Hart, even though he's screwed and he's out of here on November 24th. There's a little bit of a bait and switch. They're saying that, you know, Brett's going to be on the show. There's a limo here teasing him quote. Instead of Hart, they dressed a mini up in a leather jacket and sunglasses and called him Hart. Had Michaels put him in a sharpshooter and Helmsley stick the mic in his face where the mini said he submitted and that Michaels was the icon of the show and the showstopper and put a WCW sign on his butt, kicked him in the butt out of the ring and said, go there with the rest of the garbage. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of that creative? Um, considering what you did to Brad, it was entertaining, but but I would rather just left it alone. Yeah. Jim Neidhart comes out to confront DX. Michaels tells Neidhart how great the Hart Foundation tag team was 10 years ago. And he had one experience with him and the charisma that he was the one with experience and the charisma that Brett never had. He asked Neidhart how much of Brett's big contract is he getting? Neidhart says Brett's home in Calgary, Bulldogs having knee surgery and Owen was mentally distraught. They offer Neidhart a spot in DX. He says he'd think about it. Finally, Sean beats Vader in two minutes and 42 seconds. What took him so long? Neidhart comes out with Triple H in China. Neidhart and Triple H beat up Vader when he fell out of the ring. And then Triple H threw coffee in Vader's (laughs) good eye. (laughs) Shout out to Shuley. And Michaels hit two super kicks for the pin. After the match, DX attacked and beat up Neidhart and just left him laying. This is just Vince bearing Neidhart on the way out, is it not? Well, Neidhart wasn't staying, and Neidhart did, you know, decided that he didn't want to stay, and it was like, well, you know, you're under contract, and let's finish you up and move on. So Helmsley pins Neidhart in two minutes and twenty nine seconds at the next draw after Sean hits him with a chair, and after the match, Helmsley gives him a pedigree on the chair. Then they spray paint WCW on his back. What do you think of that creative? You know, we put WCW on the miniature Brett. Now we, now we're spray painting Neidhart with it. You just said earlier, you didn't like when we acknowledged the competition. Yeah. You- I, I didn't like this either because again, it was drawing attention to, oh, Hey, Brett, you know, I was going to the other side. Yeah. So eventually slaughter comes down, makes the save. He's putting the Cobra clutch on triple H shamrock is going to put Michaels in the ankle lock. He's tapping as the show goes off the air. And now we're in your house. DX Springfield mass, December 7th. We've covered it in the archives. Shamrock is going to beat Michaels by DQ in the main event. Triple H and China interfere. Owen returns in a pretty memorable moment coming through the crowd, knocking Sean off the apron through the announcer's table and Meltzer would say the WWF's more risque edge set a new standard for being gross on the December 8th raw from Portland on the show. Michaels did an interview going on in a descriptive detail about a big smelly turd describing Owen Hart as being a small piece of the turd that keeps coming back up. No matter how many times he flushes the toilet later in the show, after doing an angle where he'd removed all his clothes and the exception of his underwear. He looked right at the camera and grabbed and shook whatever it was in his pants. This has raised some issues about the direction of the company when talking about its past marketing and some of its current marketing towards young children. 
talk to me about this. Was there a problem with Sean doing the, the turd promo or just grabbing his Johnson, which was the bigger issue? It wasn't a turd promo. It was a nugget promo. Okay. Talked about nuggets. And you like that. And there's always that one nugget. It won't flush. And that one nugget that returns to the top. And then called Owen Hart nugget. That's where we got the nugget champ for Owen. I am not a nugget. Right. Oh gosh. Well, we're going to have some problems on the way here. There's house shows. We've talked about this before briefly, December 14th in Memphis and December 15th in little rock, man. There's a lot to unpack here. It's a, a near riot in Memphis and a full blown riot in little rock. In Memphis, the scheduled main event was Lawler and Jarrett versus Michaels and Helmsley, but it never happened. There were 5,078 fans at the pyramid. Michaels came out for his once per week scheduled arena match and was met with so much garbage thrown his way. He was simply refusing to wrestle and the show ended without the match ever taking place. As it was described to us, the show itself was poor and the crowd, many of whom had been drinking heavily were getting unruly even before the main event. Michaels was hit with a few Coca-Cola's and a large wad of tobacco juice nailed Hunter in the face. At which point Michaels grabbed the house mic and says, well, that just cost you your main event and walked out of the ring with Hunter in China. When the crowd realized what had happened, they got even more unruly. There was an attempt by dude love who was at the event, but couldn't wrestle due to fractured rib to try to get the crowd to chant HBK to get Michaels to change his mind and wrestle, but he refused to come back out. Finally, Lawler tried to apologize to the crowd, but the crowd pelted the hometown hero with debris after chanting for Lawler and Jarrett to wrestle each other. And Lawler responded by saying that since he didn't have a contract to wrestle Jarrett, that match couldn't take place, man. I know there's uh there's heat and then there's this now we're not delivering what we promised and there's a riot. I don't think anything like this has happened to the company ever at this point, at least as far as you've been there. Right. Yeah, no, not a, not a good time. Not a good look. And just, um, but at the same time, you can't, once it gets to that point, there's really no turning back. Okay. Everybody calm down. Okay. We promise we'll be good. It's just not real. So, I mean, it, it, it's, it's unfortunate. And, uh, you're sitting there with your family and your kids and people are throwing garbage and trash at the ring and everything. And people, that's why I I never, ever, ever understood like when the NWO did their turn and they thought it was so cool because everybody was throwing stuff in the ring and Oh, wasn't that great? I don't want to go to an event where I pay a lot of money for a ringside seat and I'm getting pelted with beer and hot dogs and crap thrown all over me. That's not my idea of a good time. Right. And it's certainly not someplace that I want to bring my family to. So yeah, not, not good. And, um, you know, unfortunately there's, there's only one way to do that. That's, that's not, you got to stop the event at that point. So Michaels, um, Michaels and Helmsley come to the ring and they begin riling up the crowd. That's already really mad about the poor undercard. And naturally they become target practice again. And when a piece of paper hits Michaels, he just told them they lost their main event and walked out with Helmsley in China. And the fans were thinking it was part of the act. They didn't react right away. And after several minutes, 
when DX failed to come back and there was no opponent for Helmsley that appeared, the ring announcer said that they had refused to come out and the show was over. And at this point we're in Arkansas. Now a real riot starts with chairs and somehow whiskey bottles being thrown everywhere, which by the way, you can't get in the arena. These folks were smuggling in and they're even throwing this at police who were trying to get the crowd out of the building. And the situation is so bad. Police have to spray the building with tear gas just to get the fans out. I know Vince is not making house show loops, but what is he thinking when he's hearing this? Is this because, and let's mention on the other station, man, they've been, they've been almost encouraging fans to throw trash in the ring for the NWO. Right. And that, and that's what I'm saying. Just when you, you teach people that and you train them to do that, to, to your heels and things like that, then it's, that's what they do. And again, that's, that's not what you should do. Just because you buy a ticket doesn't give you the right to, you know, throw stuff and you, you miss your intended target and you hit some little kid. It's just, it's horrible. It's horrible behavior. At the December 11th raw tapings in Lowell mass, there's a segment where Sean and Hunter both remove all their clothing with the exception of some, as Meltzer calls them, T-back speedos, which reveal the words, Mary and Christmas written on their respective, respective butt cheeks. And, uh, Michaels is going to drop the European belt to Helmsley. It starts out with the aforementioned interview where they end up in nothing but their jocks. Slaughter comes out and says that Michaels hadn't defended the European title in more than 60 days. And he's ordering a title match to be held later in the show. And that Michael's opponent would be Helmsley at one point, which would likely be during the first segment of the second hour, the match begins. However, Owen Hart does a run in before it ever got off the ground. The match was then teased until the end of the show. And the two then did a mock slow motion match. Imagine this an overtly fake pro wrestling match ending with Shawn Michaels, literally laying down for Helmsley and then getting up and crying mockingly about how sad he was for losing the title and slaughter vowing not to be made a fool of ordering Helmsley to defend the title against Owen Hart on the ensuing raw, which will air live on December 29th from the Nassau Coliseum. Now when WCW does the finger poke of doom in January of 1999, Boy, people just ripped them to shreds forever and ever that it was a promised main event and it was a sham of a match and it was all a big swerve, bro. And we kind of got it here at the end of 97, but I don't remember the uproar being the same. Why do you think it wasn't a promised main event here? Wasn't a promoted main event here. So some that Sarge came out, it was all an angle, completely different. What? So you liked it. You thought this was entertaining. In hindsight, yeah, I did think it was entertaining. At the time, no, I hated it. Because you thought the title should be taken more seriously? God damn, yes! Yeah. Motherfucker. <sighs> Shawn Michaels is going to replace Triple H, who had a dislocated knee in the Raw match. And it's it's Shawn versus Owen in a really good match. Uh, it goes to a DQ, though. And we get the buildup for the casket match. We're going towards the Royal Rumble now. Shawn's in the ring. He's going to challenge Taker. They've got a casket brought to the ring. Michaels is going to act like triple H and China were in there as a rib. And then he saw him on the ramp and really mockingly in a way to kill the angle said, so who could be in there? Of course, when he opened it, taker came out, the lights went off. And when they were on taker, he's in the ring with the belt and Michaels was nowhere to be seen. So here we go. We got Sean versus taker in a casket. 
at this point, do you know what's Sean and Austin at WrestleMania? Yes. Okay. The match itself, the, the, the dreaded match where the injury happens, happens in San Jose, January 18th, 1998. It happens relatively early in the match. It doesn't even seem like that crazy of an injury, but boy, when you watch it back, it totally makes sense. It, it doesn't even seem like that dangerous of a spot. It's just bad luck, I, I guess. Right. It was just, yeah. Right spot that, that did the damage, man. Right spot, right impact. And, um, unfortunate, unfortunate deal, man. We could probably take that bump a million times and it wouldn't happen again. They even do, you know, Sean's on TV the very next day in Fresno. Uh, but boy, his back just <clears throat> continues to get worse and worse. And there's lots of comments, you know, about Sean's injuries and whether or not they're legitimate. Well, we talked about the Marine thing before, and then we talked about the knee thing and lost my smile in February 97. But when you watch it back, I mean, you can see he hits his back on the corner of the casket. So that's kind of hard to argue. Is it not? It was, and it, and, and it was legitimate one. And that one, you know, he went to doctors and everybody agreed it was, man, he, he's going to have to have surgery on this. So they do a spot where the undertaker is descending from the ceiling, but it's actually Shawn Michaels dressed up as him, which is one of the first times they did something like that. And he does an interview saying he doesn't lay down for anyone. And he talks about roasting weenies and salamis and making all kinds of dick comments, including triple H wearing a suck the cook apron. And Michaels even took a weenie and acted like he was jacking it off. And I'm sure this is exactly what Vince imagined when he first bought the company. <laughs> One day we'll have our guys whacking off wieners right in the middle of the ring. It was a salami. Sorry. Okay. I know that China had the biggest one. I recall that. There you go. So Sean's advertised to be in the eight man at no way out in the buildup. But of course there's probably no way he could ever make that with this back injury. Uh, somehow, some way Sean Michaels is going to be involved with Mike Tyson because Mike Tyson, of course, is going to debut right after the Royal rumble. And, um, man, you want to talk about really leveling up WrestleMania. You got a lot of momentum. Steve Austin's getting super hot. Shawn Michaels is one of the most hated characters around and he's even doing the, the mock little press conference that we sort of fast forward a little bit through here. It's fascinating to see how quickly Sean became the biggest heel in the business. I mean, in 1996, he's one of the most over baby faces 1997, the heel turn really starts probably at SummerSlam and by early 98. This DX thing, this has caught fire in a major way, has it not? Big time. And and I think Sean was really coming into his own as well. So it, it was, yeah, <laughs> it was clicking on all cylinders. What can you tell however, us? Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and however, I don't know that it would have been um, what it became had Sean not gone away. Hmm. You're saying had he not gone away for the knee injury, it wouldn't have wound up like this. No, had Sean not gone away after WrestleMania and dropping the title to Austin. Oh, I got you. And, and DX reforming and, and becoming the new DX. I don't know that DX would have 
been everything that they became. I see. Not doing that. So let's talk about one of the early things that we did. You know, they did lots of crazy skits. I'll never forget, you know, when they're holding up signs backstage and Sean's jumping around and showing his bare ass and doing all the crotch chops and putting the American, the uh, Canadian flag up his nose and all kinds of silly, crazy stuff. But one of the things that got a lot of play, I guess there had been some controversy about some of the content of the things that Sean was doing on camera and, and DX was doing, and maybe USA encouraged them. Hey, you need to clean this up. So you guys do like a mock press conference, really like a week after the whole Bill Clinton thing happened. And Sean just leans into it in a major way. It says every bad word possible. You guys bleep it out. This almost feels like an F you or middle finger to your TV partner. But as the story goes, USA really liked it, right? Yeah. It had nothing to do with USA. It had more to do with the, with that damn, uh, parent teachers council and the L Brent Bozell goof that, uh, was making noise and, and doing the studies about there were 17 crotch shots and all that, you know, stuff like that, that that's what it was making fun of and nothing to do with USA. So as we know, that's all January fast forward, February, no way out. Well, no Shawn Michaels in sight. You guys need a replacement. And we've learned from you, Bruce, very early on in something to wrestle that if for whatever reason you can't deliver, the replacement has to exceed the original. And I know when I think about, man, what's bigger than Shawn Michaels in the main event, Savio fucking Vega, baby. Damn right. He was over in Puerto Rico, you know? Oh yeah. Big time. But, uh, only in, in, uh, on the Punta side. Okay. No, what's the name? Punta. I, I was going to leave that one alone. No, <laughs> no. Uh, no. What's the name? There's a, a Ponce. Okay. You ain't got to get hot about it. Hey, Savio was over, uh, in Puerto Rico. Big time. Who was more over Savio in Puerto Rico or Butch Reed in Florida? Oh boy. That's tough. Butch was over. <laughs> I love you for that. So the WWF tries that one last angle with Mike Tyson on March 26th in Boston. And boy, we've talked about this one a lot. I know you were there. We're trying to do like a public workout. We're trying to get all the publicity we can here at the last minute for WrestleMania. The attendance way exceeds your expectations by a multiple. Shawn Michaels comes out. He's running down Boston sports, trying to get some heat. The garbage starts coming in again. And he gets hit with a battery and storms off and Helmsley stays and covers for him while they're trying to introduce a guy to mock Owen Hart, undertaker, Bret Hart, and finally Austin, Austin hits the ring, but he's attacked by DX and Los Bariquas and they tie him into the ropes. And then Michaels returns so they can do the spot to tease where Michaels went to kick Austin, but Tyson stopped him and then Tyson went to punch Austin, but Michael stopped him. And then instead they both kissed Austin. Sean's hurting. He doesn't want to be here. He feels disrespected. He's probably self-medicating. I think there's even a story where Sean Michaels admits in the limo, right? He's thinking he's leaving and not coming back and all that. He's down in pills and chugging booze. And he's just in a bad spot mentally, physically, emotionally. How much of a wreck was Sean Michaels the week of WrestleMania here? That would be hard to describe. And you would have to, 
have experienced it to really appreciate it or and or not appreciate it. But Sean was a handful that day. Well, the whole the whole week going into it uh, was a handful. It was it was the epitome of a problem child. So, um, yeah, not good, not good at all. What's a shame too, is he's, he's a very young man. I mean, he, he's not an old fella at all and he's got two herniated discs and he doesn't know what his future is going to be. And he's been to the top of the mountain and boy, it's just not exactly what he hoped for. And well, the old adage is you used to say is just get the match in the ring and it happened. And Shawn Michaels came out with a ton of swagger. Maybe it was the house show match that Austin had been working with Hunter. Maybe it wasn't what it could have been, but when it was all said and done, Shawn Michaels did what needed to be done and Austin and his era began. And there's lots of rumor and innuendo Bruce, that one of the things they wanted to do is they wanted to drape an Austin 316 t-shirt over Shawn's face. And he said, absolutely not. Do you remember that? I do. Yep. It was something about, uh, God, no, it was either, it was the DX shirt. It was after, uh, Tyson took his shirt off, but whatever it was. Yeah. They wanted to drape it. Sean didn't want to do that at all. And then there's, there's footage where they're doing the, the post-match, the post WrestleMania press conference and Sean's still half-ass in his gear and just kicks the door in. And I think Shane McMahon is trying to get cooler heads to prevail even after the match, Sean's still fucking yeah. pissed. Yeah. Sean felt they were having a press conference without him. And, you know, it was like, what about me? And, you know, how can they do this? And how about the, the guy that just went out there and had a performance of a lifetime and all that good stuff. And, um, Sean didn't, Sean didn't know about it, but that, that whole press conference was all about the new guys yes. and, and Tyson. What did Sean think? His prognosis was going to, did Sean think this was it for him? Did he think he was coming back? And more importantly, did Vince think he was coming back? We just didn't know. And we were prepared to move on without him. And I think that Sean was in a place where he wasn't, you know, it was like defiant. I'm not going to come back anyway. Even if you wanted me, I'm not going to come back. Um, but we had to get right, man. Sean, Sean really needed to get fixed. And when I say get fixed, he needed to have his body taken care of. He needed to get his head taken care of and, and get control of his life. And, and he did. Uh, the update on Sean Michaels after WrestleMania from Dave Meltzer to the best of anyone, anyone's knowledge, Michaels didn't aggravate his back injury seriously at WrestleMania since he never went to a doctor after the show. But he did go in suffering from two herniated discs and is now going to rest his back. And hopefully uh, all the other problems will be under control in the weeks leading up to mania. People had been nicknaming him Louie. I assume that's a reference. I think it's a a reference to Louis Spicoli, who I believe passed away in February of 98 from an overdose of somas. And, And I think that was Sean's drug of choice. And a lot of wrestlers back in the day, does that sound right? That they would use muscle relaxers like somas. Yeah, it may have been. Sean comes back over the summer of 98 a few times, does color commentary a few times. And there's lots of rumor and innuendo that he even fractures his relationship with Hunter when he shows up maybe less than 
do you remember how problematic Sean was in these sporadic appearances in 98? Yeah, because you were kind of hoping for, you were hoping for the good Sean. You were hoping for the performer. And, and instead you got a guy that was bitter that he wasn't there. You got a guy that was problematic, you know, trying to tell everybody what to do and how to do it when he really wasn't a part of it anymore and chose not to be a part of it. What's interesting is the company doesn't let him go. It's not like they cut him and they probably could have, he comes back on November 17th. Uh, they're going to try to make him the new heel commissioner. He's, um, found out about 10 days prior that his career is indeed over. He's only 33 at this point. He wanted to come back. The company largely doesn't know what to do with him. According to Meltzer, maybe because he has poor morale, maybe because he's not good at announcing, but they, they feel like they need to do something to justify his $750,000 a year contract. How frustrating was this for you? Or by this point, you guys were printing money and it didn't really matter. No, you know, you really, you do want to try and do something with them. You, you have a talent there who is talented that can do things and perform and not to be able to use them because of their demons and their preferences, but you're, you're kind of stuck. And Vince is a loyal guy that he was going to, he was going to pay Sean as promised at that point. I think more than anything because of Montreal. Oh man. So Sean becomes the, uh, the baby face commentator. Eventually, uh, he's going to eventually be fired by Vince and then super kick him to end the show. A crazy couple of years here. I think I could argue Bruce that, you know, from the summer of 97 through WrestleMania 14, nobody had the heel swagger that Shawn Michaels had. I mean, he was a, a crazy promo, an unbelievable in-ring performer, but there was just something about Sean. He was the ultimate heel here in this era. Was he not? Yeah. And a great one. And, and you know, it's, it's funny. Cause I always, I listen to people's horror stories and talk about Sean and people who weren't there and didn't do things. And, and Sean could be, and I could see where Sean, um, could treat other people. I don't think I ever had a crossword with Sean, even during these times. There was I was always able to talk to him, and he would talk to me. And there was never really any major rift or or, or anything. So you know, I saw it with other people. I saw it with Vince, um, but for whatever reason. Uh, I just never really did. You know, we had, we had our disagreements, that's for sure. But I never had any major blow up with Sean. Let's do a few questions here and then we'll wrap this one up. Jason wants to know, were there ever any voices in the back trying to get Vince to stop rewarding Sean's bad behavior and backstage antics? Sure. A lot, but I think it just fell on deaf ears. Uh, here's another in hindsight, would it have been better to let Sean go and join his friends down South and have Brett be the one to pass the torch to Austin at WrestleMania 14. I don't think so. That's a, no. fun, that's a fun. What if, because it feels as if at some point it did become, you know, where Vince has to pick a side. Are you with Brett? Or are you with Sean? 
And what if it would have went the other way? What would the, what would the attitude? Cause we know that Sean sticks around, but only for a handful of months after I mean, he's injured just two months after Brett leaves Brett in an Austin era. What would that have looked like? Yeah, I, I don't know. And I don't know if it would have been as successful and and you wouldn't have had the, uh, Mr. McMahon character. So there's, there's a lot of what ifs that I don't know that it would have been as good. Great question here from sober wrestling on Twitter. If Sean were healthy in 1998, do you think he could have handled being surpassed by Steve Austin as the top star in the WWF? That's interesting because he struggled when they tried to make a transition to Brett. Would it have worked with Austin? I don't know. Cause I, I, I do think it would have because, uh, Steve and Sean really liked each other and loved working with each other. When Steve first came in as the ringmaster with no angle, no nothing. Steve headlined all over with Sean as his opponent. And Sean was one of Steve's biggest advocates constantly, you know, saying, Hey man, this, this guy is, is it. So that was from day one is the ringmaster. Jason on Twitter wants to know, was there anyone Sean wanted to work with that wasn't approved? And if so, why didn't he get the opportunity? That's an interesting well, question. During that time, I, I don't really, I, I don't think that there really was. Did he advocate? Sean want to be on top and work with top guys. Did he advocate for Waltman at any point before Waltman left? No. Okay. Shane uh, Harris has an interesting question because, well, it's a valid circumstance. Was Sean reluctant to take a punch from Tyson? Now I understand on the. Th- on the surface, that sounds like a weenie question, but had anybody ever shown Mike Tyson how to pull a punch? Like he knows how to throw a certain type of punch, but talk to us about that. Boxers know how to pull punches. Okay. Cause everything's a work, right? Bruce. Yes. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, Daryl says at the end of one night only Sean and triple H kept calling themselves the triple threat and throwing up three fingers. Was this ever a potential name for their group at maybe a pre DX time or possibly just a shot at ECW Shane Douglas who was using the same name and hand gesture? I guarantee it wasn't a shot at Shane Douglas. I just think it was, there's three of them and was what it was. Well, next week, Bruce, we're going to be back finishing up our episode on Ken Shamrock from earlier this year. We're going to talk Shamrock in the corporation, Ryan Shamrock turning baby face feuding with the undertaker joining the union, Steve Blackman, Dan Severin, Chris Jericho, and of course his eventual exit and maybe why he never returned, man, we're getting back to form. This was uh, a long show over two hours today. Felt like an old something to wrestle. We're getting back in our groove today, daddy. Thank you for the time. You know, baby, it's, it's all good. Baba. Very good. For to be jabroni. I humble you. Any final words about Shawn Michaels you want to share with us? I mean, he had one hell of a 1997 lot to unpack here, as I like to say, and and again, we said earlier, totally different guy now, blah, blah, blah. Anything else you want to share with us about Sean? I think that, you know, Sean was probably one of the most gifted talents I've ever had the pleasure of working with and, um, difficult. Sometimes, man, you have a difficult talent and if they're worth, if they're worth that difficultness, is that a word? Um, okay. And if you, if you're able to manage it, then, then yes. And I think that Sean was worth that extra effort because he was just that good. 
Um, and again, I, you know, you look at, at where he was and you look at where he is and the complete turnaround in the human being. And it, it makes you happy. It, it just makes you really happy that they found peace and that they became, really, you know, an upstanding citizen. But Sean really is in a great place and, and is a completely different person. Well, I hope that you guys enjoyed uh, our return to form here on something to wrestle. Let your friends know by God, Bruce is back and we're having a blast. We had Bret Hart last week, Sean Michaels this week, Ken Shamrock on deck next week. And we'll see you next week right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard rock on. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.